68th Scroll, Chapter 1. Who are you? And the apes went into the forbidden zone, abiding not by the law, but by vain curiosity for that which should remain unseen. Forbidden zone? What are you even talking about? Who let you in here? And the prophecy of the wise ones was fulfilled when a talking man fell from the skies, no, no, get back in your cage, ape. No, no. Ugh. Oh my God, the lawgiver is so annoying. Why do we even invite him? He never stops talking about these dumb scrolls. Welcome to another episode of Flies Together. Flies Together. <laughs> Splice has go together. Splice has together. I'm Michelle, aka not the lawgiver. And I'm Harper. No! <laughs> For this episode, we're going to be talking about the Planet of the Apes franchise, Volume 1. Or Part 1? Volume 1. Volume 1. <laughs> so we're going to look, start with the original. Planet of the Apes movies and then eventually in a distant alternate earth timeline <laughs> we will talk about the Tim Burton and the remakes which I'm yeah. very excited for so this one we're covering all five of the originals yes so Planet of the Apes Beneath the Planet of the Apes Escape from Planet of the Apes Conquest of the Planet of the Apes and Battle for the mm -hmm. Planet of the Apes. It's a mouthful, ain't it? So, spoiler, this movie is about apes. <laughs> How long is that? Too long is the answer. <laughs> anyway, so we have a live chimpanzee in our studio today. Mm -hmm. Not Harley. She's not participating. Okay. So let's let's talk a little bit about the background of these movies. So tell me, Harper, what are your first memories of the eight movies? Well, I hadn't seen any of these originals until we started watching them about a month ago or two months ago or whenever we started. But we you know of the ending, right? Oh yeah. So I'm trying to think of like when did that get spoiled for all of us? Simpsons. Oh, just Simpsons. <laughs> I mean, that's definitely the first place, probably. I probably didn't get it at the time. And then later, I I mean, yeah, this is this is one. I feel like this it's ending like it is was always there. Arguably. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like as famous as Darth Vader being Luke's father. Yeah, I was spoiler. thinking like, was there like countdowns we used to watch? Or, like crazy movie moments? <laughs> like, I can't remember. I mean, this was just like part of pop culture. Like it's not yeah. even, you know. Although I do it's remember been so many times too. Yeah, I definitely had seen the like bomb part before, but I did not remember the entire 
like yeah. movie of the second it's funny. one. There was a time when we were dating. I think it was either when we were in high school or when I was in college and you were in high school. We were at your parents' house and Sci-Fi Channel was doing like a Planet of the Apes marathon mm-hmm. weekend. And I remember being like, oh, that's kind of cool. And we watched like 15 minutes of Beneath. That must be where it is. Yeah, that's when we saw the bomb <laughs> stuff. And we're like, wow, this is weird. This must be weird. like the fifth one. Little did we know. <laughs> yeah. Um, But I did see the Tim Burton one in theaters. I think I did too. So I definitely remember seeing that pretty early. Yeah. On what we were probably like 10, 12. Yeah, I don't remember <laughs> what year that came out. But yeah, we were pretty young when that came out. Yeah. And I remember being like, no, this is fine. <laughs> it didn't make much of an impression on me one way or the other as a 10 year old or whatever i just remember the ending when he's like walking up the lincoln memorial steps and then the statue is in oh right face. it's totally different it's not yeah. like the statue of liberty it's abe lincoln that makes no sense ape lincoln oh <laughs> very nice yeah our chimpanzee friend thought that was really good <laughs> Um, and then, yeah, so for the second volume, we have seen all of the new ones in yeah. order. Yes, as they we came saw those out. as they came out because they're by and large really good. Yeah. But we'll get to that. Uh, <laughs> it's probably going to be. A, It'll yeah. probably be next year when the yes. newest one comes out. We'll probably wait till the newest one to come out. Before. Although I might want to watch all of them right now. Yeah, I know. I really want to watch <laughs> the newer ones. We'll just record it a year in advance. Yeah. Be on top of it. What are they game. called? Dawn, Rise, and War? I thought there was another one. Kingdom? Oh, is the new one Kingdom? It's going to be called Kingdom, yeah. Anyways. Um, man, I just had a, a thought and I can't remember it. Oh, well, we should mention that we started this rewatch because it's an anniversary. 55 years? Is uh, that what we decided? I forgot to look. <laughs> uh, well, anyway. I tell you. Yeah, so we decided like it's an anniversary year. We should dive into it and see what the fuss is all about because we like sci-fi movies and these, this is like one of the... 55th anniversary okay. is on March 27th, technically, is the 55th anniversary. Cool. But yeah, I was going to say, this is like one of the older movie franchises. It is arguably the oldest movie franchise. I don't know about (laughs) that, though, because I looked up a list and Godzilla and James Bond came out before. But were they really geared towards being a franchise? This is definitely like, yes, continuity. Yeah, although the continuity (laughs) is all screwy. Yeah. So It makes sense when you have your Pepe What was the other one? Godzilla and what? James, James Bond. Bond. Yeah, and then well, James someone Bond, said Pink Panther, but I've never seen any of them. I haven't either. But those are well, Pink Panther, I don't know, but James Bonds are all those are all based on books. So that's yeah. a little different. Like there's no this, this is one based on a book. The first one is the yeah. rest of them aren't. Like all of the James Bonds up until uh Quan- no. What was the first one that was not based on a book? Spectre? I can't remember. The Anyways, worst one. Yeah. <laughs> um Quantum of Solace. Actually, Golden I'm is not based on a book. Anyways. Um but uh, yeah, those were all like individually based on books. So it was like they had source material. This, I feel like I'd read several times. That this was the first time when they were like, okay, we're going to make another one of these, like, you know, without any kind of other source material. And, you know, yeah. they had to try and figure it out as they went, which is why, as you'll see, they get me- sometimes good and sometimes bad, but they each get more messy and lower budget than the previous one. Yeah. Which is really odd considering how we treat sequels and franchises now. Yeah. Where the second one is usually the biggest movie. I am surprised that the newest ones have taken, they've taken a while to complete. Well, I mean, the first three were a trilogy and they came out within like 
four or five years, I think, of each other. I thought they were more spread out. But I don't know. That's we'll another that episode. In a year. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I think we've covered like our memories of being little monkey children. <laughs> It's going to get shorter and shorter. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) That's as short as I can do. Yeah. Um, So I say we uh, start start getting into the movies. Are you ready? I'm ready. For this journey? To the planet of the apes. (laughs) We didn't plan that, everybody. It's just off the cuff. It's all just in our telepathic human brains. Yeah. So, yeah, let's do the first movie. Can't help thinking that somewhere in the universe there has to be something better than man. Has to be. The words are Charlton Heston's. Get out a last signal to Earth if we've landed. he finds out in the galaxy will challenge every idea you've ever had of civilization. A planet where man is the lowest order of living things and the superior beings are apes. They build the cities, make the laws, the gods, and control the guns that hunt a race of lowly terrified humans who run wild in the jungles, are caged in the prisons, and stuffed in the museums. 20th Century Fox transforms the motion picture screen into Planet of the Apes. Pierre Boulle's finest novel since Bridge on the River Kwai. The world gone insane. An upside-down civilization could not be real. Yes, a world of madness and terror. Man has no understanding. He can be taught a few simple tricks, nothing more. You did it. You cut up his brain, you funny baffles! It's a man! It's a man! It did not end here. Ended in an episode so unpredictable, so shocking, it made the horror which preceded it seem calm and gentle as a summer's night. A great many people worked long and hard to answer the question of what a civilization would be like where the evolutionary process had been reversed and apes were the superior species. Hundreds of technicians and the largest number of makeup artists ever assembled assisted the producers, the writers, the director, and the cast. Dr. Cornelius. Roddy McDowell. Dr. Zira is played by Kim Hunter. Dr. Zayas is portrayed by Maurice Evans. And Nova by Linda Harrison. Now the tribunal has placed you in my custody for final disposition. You realize what that means? No. Emasculation to begin with. Then experimental surgery on the speech centers, on the brain. Eventually a kind of living death. Planet of the Apes, beyond your wildest dreams. Planet of the Apes, 
the Apes, the original, came out in 1968, directed by Franklin J. Schaffner, <laughs> Schaffner. <laughs> who directed Patton Papillion and The Boys from Brazil. I really want to see The Boys from Brazil one day. It seems like a cool movie. I've never heard of it ever. So, Tagman. Tagline. Tagman. (laughs) Tagman. Tagman. Somewhere in the universe, there must be something better than man. Hmm. Could it be a monkey? Uh, Thought he was a man, (laughs) but he really was a monkey. I don't know what you're talking about. Frank (sighs) Zappa. This is about Planet of the Apes. Muffin, not monkey. Muffin man. (laughs) Anyway, the original takes place in the future, two thousand years into the future, when in U.S. spaceship lands on desolate planet, stranding astronaut Taylor and a couple other dudes who doesn't uh, really matter anymore. <laughs> and they use... Um, what? Why don't you just read what it says? <laughs> Maybe you should read this. <laughs> a U.S. spaceship lands on a desolate planet, stranding astronaut Taylor in a world dominated by apes 2,000 years in the future who use a primitive race of humans for experimentation and sport. Soon, Taylor finds himself among the hunted, his life in the hands of a benevolent chimpanzee yeah. scientist. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> um, so this was written, the novel was written by Pierre Bouillet, French. Yeah. French dude. Yeah, I think so. Um, Michael Wilson, who did... Du Planet du, du <laughs> Lawrence of Arabia, Bridge on the River Croix. And Broad so, Serling, Twilight Zone. Talk about that. That's some high uh, quality writers. You've got like your military epic, Lawrence Desert Adventure. Adventure. Two classic <laughs> masterpiece epics and yeah. Rod Serling of the Twilight Zone. I mean, mm-hmm. that's kind of mm-hmm. perfect. If I had to guess who wrote this movie, that's who I would guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it definitely works out. Uh, starring Charlton Heston, and I will probably mispronounce his name a bunch and say Charleston Heston, <laughs> so I apologize. Okay. He's in the Armageddon movie? Apparently. I don't believe that. Is he like Bruce Willis' dad or something? Does Bruce Willis have a dad in Armageddon? Know. Anyway, in the Mouth of Madness, where? Uh, uh, <laughs> is, oh man, now I don't remember. Good Lord. Anyway, Touch of Evil, True Lies, and Ben Hur. So unprepared here. I'm gonna. (laughs) Should have been her. I'm gonna gonna find out some things right now. Uh, Also starring Roddy McDowell, who's in. He does a voice in Bugs Life. He's in the original Fright Night, Overboard, Class of 1984. Armageddon. He's the narrator. Uh, Oh, there's a narrator. Apparently. I haven't seen Armageddon in 20 yeah, years. I don't remember that at all. I didn't know Roddy McDowell was in Shakma. In the mouth of Madness, he's Jackson Harglow. I cannot remember for the life of me who that is. I feel like when no I idea. wrote that in the notes, I was like, oh yeah, but now I don't remember. Maybe he's like his publicist. Touch of Evil, he plays a Mexican man. That seems and inappropriate. Orson Welles was real pissed about being forced to hire <laughs> Charlton Heston to play a Mexican man. I would too. Um, also starring Kim Hunter, who's in the street car named desire maurice evans who's in rosemary's baby and the jerk but you forgot our favorite leading lady nova yeah linda harrison who plays nova is she in a bunch of them or just the first two (laughs) she's in a lot of them Hmm. she's in three of them and the tim burton remake ah she's also in cocoon and that's it (laughs) um 
All right, so Planet of the Apes had a budget of $5.8 million and ended up getting a box office total of $33.8 million, which is pretty awesome yeah, for that's... a like orig- well, original-ish sci-fi movie. Yeah, that's pretty, uh, that's pretty giant. Um, so let's dive in. Well, yeah, also keep in mind, this is pre-Star Wars, so way pre-Star Wars, like almost yeah. 10 years before Star Wars. So this is like, nobody would have ever, it's like sci-fi movies were like the f- like drive-in fair at yeah. this point. And this is even pre-Space um, Odyssey, right? Wasn't that 69? Uh, Maybe. So 68, same year. Same, wow. Good year. year for sci-fi. So yeah, just think, I mean, you know, I feel like the, this and, and Space Odyssey were maybe the first time when sci-fi movies were like taken seriously not just as like something to be cranked out with like goofy looking aliens and uh, you know, like uh, plan nine and forbidden planet kind of stuff to be put into drive-in theaters. Like this is a little bit more serious. Yeah. Um, So let's dive into the story. Do you want to talk about this very long synopsis? I wasn't going to read it. No, I was (laughs) really just there for our reference. All right. Well, let's talk about our overall I think if I read the whole thing, the apes would revolt. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> so what did you feel about this movie? How do I feel about it? Wow, what a large question. <laughs> um, I liked it a lot. I mean, you know, I had not seen it before, but, um, but I, yeah, it's one of those movies where I really wish I hadn't known the ending because the ending is so great. Yeah. Um, but even knowing that it's still pretty awesome because, um, all these movies really went in different directions than I expected them to, um, and this one, I think what was particularly interesting is there's so much that you like never really learn about, like especially stuff with Dr. Zayas, like a lot of the stuff he says you're and, and how, how earth got this way is very, yeah. um, still kind of, you know, little foggy and in the dark, which is kind of cool. Like it's not explained away completely. Yeah. When I wasn't expecting how like sci-fi heavy sci-fi the beginning would be because it felt it reminded me a lot of that um oj simpson astronaut movie we watched oh man (laughs) where they're kind of like stranded out in the desert yeah it does it does because it starts with like a spaceship crash and you don't really know what's going on who are these astronauts there's actually four astronauts but the woman immediately dies um yeah that was really lame i was excited about that and i was like yeah and then yeah (laughs) i mean the effect is kind of cool but it's yeah it's kind of lame um, and then the three astronauts are trying to just survive this like desert landscape in the forbidden zone where nobody goes and nothing grows. Um, so yeah, I wasn't expecting that entire intro to be so like lost in space ish. <laughs> yeah, no, this is, it feels like the earliest example of a sci-fi movie I've seen that has like zero camp value. Like yeah. it's really genuinely taken seriously and good. Mm-hmm. It's also kind of amazing to me. The most sci-fi aspect of all is that in the early, in the late 1960s, this movie came out and takes for granted that evolution exists and that we all just believe it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, boy, if let's uh, that's that's a reason to want to go back to the late 60s. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I guess thematically we get a lot of interesting moments where it's kind of exploring this animal human relationship and but reversing it so it really makes you think like how are we treating animals Mm -hmm. and like doing tests on them and like caging them and 
acting like they're all big dum-dums. Yeah, that's certainly like the... All the movies have like a kind of like social um, commentary that they're going for. And that's certainly the one in this one is like this animal cruelty thing. Yeah. Where they're just like, oh, you know, he's... he's uh, Look at that. He's pretending to talk. It's just, you know, it's the way we like anthropomorphize like our pets. We're like, oh, she's smiling or like... She is. Har- Harley's so sad. <laughs> and it's like, no, like an animal and like we're you know trying to put like human feelings on it is is how zira and and them kind of view view the humans in this movie yeah they're like you know oh they're not really like sentient so we can just do whatever we want yeah um so what trivia did you have for the story um I wrote that Michael Wilson was brought in to do a rewrite of Rod Serling's original screenplay. So Rod Serling wrote it first, and then Wilson came in to do a rewrite. His contribution is most evident in the kangaroo courtroom scene, Wilson being an embittered target of the blacklisting uh, witch hunts of the 1950s. So that's kind of where that came from. So what that's kangaroo cool. courtroom scene? When they're trying to decide what to do with him? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So that's kind of interesting. So it's mostly Rod Serling and Wilson's thing mostly brought in that other that one aspect. Yeah. So I guess we need to talk about before we get what into was that OJ astronaut movie? What is it? Cap- <laughs> Capricorn One? Yeah, I think yeah. it was Capricorn One. OJ astronaut movie. <laughs> the juice is loose in space. So I guess we should talk about sort of the production design of the movie because this yeah. is sort of what it's most famous for. Um, so John Chambers did the makeup effects and he sort of pioneered in the film, um, basing it off a technique he had used during World War II to give disfigured veterans a normal appearance. That's kind of creepy. Hmm. Um, That's probably people that were burned by like, uh, napalm yeah. and stuff. He spent many hours watching the apes at Los Angeles Zoo. Did you say apes? <gasps> I did. I'm, I'm not going to do that every time we say apes. It would be awful. Um, several, other, several other productions were delayed because many of Hollywood's top makeup artists were working on this film. The Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences gave Chambers an honorary award for makeup, which was not an Oscar category until 1981 for this achievement. The second time that a makeup artist received an Academy Award, William Tuttle was for... Seven Faces of Dr. Lau. Chambers Award was presented by Walter Matthew in a uh-huh. chimpanzee in a tuxedo. Wow. Now that's <laughs> something we ought to watch. <laughs> <laughs> but after Boy. Nope, I'm surprised they let a chimp not, anywhere yeah. near people. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Oscars really ought to have a, a chimp presenting awards. I mean, I it, it, maybe they'd get more people to watch. Yeah. <laughs> it also has the highest makeup budget when adjusted for inflation at the... Then it was $345,542. That's a lot of money on makeup. And now it's $2 million. 17% of the total budget was spent on makeup. I'm actually surprised it wasn't more because the sets are like non... Are like the nothing. sets are pretty much non-existent. Yeah. <laughs> they just like have desert guess, scene, rock, Flintstone houses. and. <laughs> but I guess they also had to build a, uh, a spaceship that's pretty much full size, I think, because uh, they're like climbing around on it. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, you know, like that big cage and stuff. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that big cage. <laughs> and then yeah, I think like nice. the Statue of Liberty and all the ruins are probably paintings. Uh, yeah, I think those are matte paintings. paintings. Anyway, how did you feel about the ape makeup? Does it work? Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. It's really, really <laughs> good. I think it's funny because with the whole original franchise, um, 
they get lazier with it and but also better like on the main characters through the franchise they continue to get better at it because like in this one in a couple of cases you can like see their human teeth underneath and stuff it's always creepy it is they're like peekaboo so like they I'm get <laughs> they get better at that but then they do that like elaborate makeup on less and less characters like yeah as it goes they start just using eight masks for a lot of the like extras and stuff instead of doing the real makeup which is too bad I'm looking at you conquest yeah because the makeup is really good obviously i mean it feels it feels like the actors are able to actually give their lines and really emote rather than just like being like a monster which really is what kind of sells the movie like it wouldn't work at all without the makeup working yeah and then we get like three very distinct uh ape categories we get Mm -hmm. the chimpanzees who are like the scientists we get the orangutans who are like the philosophers Mm -hmm. slash religious government people and then you get the gorillas who are just a bunch of gorillas. Military. <laughs> and there, I don't know if there are any gorillas in the first one. I don't there, are. there are. There are? Okay. They're the ones who, um, they're on the hunt scene. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I feel like I was surprised at how well you could see sort of the emotions coming through. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, I thought it, although their mouths just look like big coconuts on their, over their mouth. <laughs> but yeah, you can really tell the, uh, their performances going through, coming through the makeup. Yeah. And they feel just as like human as the humans do. Yeah. Um, Except the humans get the short end of the makeup stick. They just run around in loincloths. Like I wasn't expecting Charles, Charlton Heston to just move. Like actually he's nude in some scenes. You see his pale butt. (laughs) Yeah. There was a piece of trivia that this was like the only G rated movie to have nudity. Yeah. Like a bunch of astronauts, butts when they jump in the water. (laughs) Um, and G yeah, rated. they just get loincloths and dirt thrown on them. <laughs> Everyone looks stinky on this set. <laughs> well, you know what they say. What? You know what they say. Human see, human do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to work that in yeah. somewhere. <laughs> I don't know where we can work it in. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about the performances. Um... Let's start with the uh, oh, man. Charlton Heston. Is he really your <laughs> he's man? not. He's very conservative and an asshole, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, but let's talk about him. <laughs> so, Charlton Heston was actually sick during much of the film with the flu, and then rather waiting for him to get better, the producers felt that his hoarse voice added something to the character of Taylor. See, this is what PC liberal Hollywood's doing to us now. They're letting <laughs> actors take the day off when they're sick. Yeah. So Charlton Heston would be ashamed. Um. So for the most part, he's so over the top. Yeah. <laughs> And it's like, he has this way of talking where he's like constantly gritting his mouth and he's like, Aah! he's the only person I know who when he talks, his whole, te- all of his you teeth see are all visible. His teeth. Like even the back ones, because his mouth is just like, you know oh, who that's way. like? Daisy Ridley. <laughs> see all her teeth all the time too. That's true. <laughs> um, but I think he's believable as an astronaut who got lost on a unknown planet overrun by apes. <laughs> yeah i mean do we want to give uh this isn't either of our lines favorite lines oh wait never mind never mind i must save it sorry okay ignore I... all that <laughs> um yeah and... he's very over the top but i will say it works because the situation he's in is so like insane and so like 
uh, unbelievable to him, but it makes sense that he's like losing his (laughs) mind almost. Yeah. He reminds me of Clint Eastwood. Yeah. A lot. (laughs) Um, And then some of the other characters, we get um, Zira, Mm -hmm. who is played by Kim Hunter. And I already mentioned Linda Harrison playing Nova, and I have to inform you that this movie does not pass the Bechdel test. Mm, Can you believe it? (laughs) But it passes the part where it has to have at least two named women. Okay. So you have Zira and Nova. You also have the lady astronaut at the beginning, but I don't know if we know her name. Zira talks to Nova. Nova doesn't talk No, Nova can't talk. (laughs) And they talk about something besides a man. They probably talk about apes. She only talks to Nova about (laughs) impregging impregnated. Oh, okay. She doesn't even talk to her. I don't know. All right. Fair enough. Um, I'm just teasing. (laughs) But yeah, it doesn't really pass the Bechdel test. I wouldn't necessarily call this a feminist movie. (laughs) No. We killed the lady right away. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Nova... (laughs) <laughs> Who's going to make the men's sandwiches? Am I right? <laughs> um, she has like no lines and she's very infuriating. <laughs> she might have been. There was a lot of trivia for these first couple movies about that. There were several of the women who are in the cast, um, cast of a couple of the movies were uh, like wives or girlfriends of the producers. Like they were not like people that were cast in a normal. And Linda Harrison yeah. might have been one of those. Like she might have been the girlfriend of one of the producers. Or They're something. like, we need somebody pretty who doesn't yeah. talk. The perfect woman. Zing. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, but Zira actually makes up for it. So Zira's great. Zira is played by Kim Hunter, mm-hmm. and she is the main scientist lady of the entire community. Yeah. She's in the first three movies. Yeah. As a, one of the major characters. Um, so tell me about Zero trivia. trivia. So uh, she's played by Kim Hunter, as you stated. But um, turning down the part of Zero was one of Ingrid Bergman's greatest regrets, apparently. Uh, she was surprised at how well the finished film turned out. She later confided to her daughter, Isabella Rosaline. Uh, and we Isabella Rosaline. <laughs> Uh, that in hindsight, the film would have been an ideal opportunity to disregard her regal bearing, quote. She also regretted missing the opportunity to work with Charlton Heston. Well, that's weird, but. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't, I'm actually not familiar with. Ing- oh, sure you are. Ingrid, Miss Ingrid. What movies have we seen with Ingrid? Uh, isn't she in Casablanca? Oh, is she? She's, the main lady? Yeah. I mean, she's like one of the classical. Oh, that would have been interesting. Sometimes it's like we don't know movies at all. Um, she's in <laughs> Casablanca, Notorious, Murder on Orient Express, Spellbound. Yeah, she's a very regal, uh, classic actress. Yeah. Um, but Kim Hunter does a great job. Yes. She's well, very sassy and like uh, she tells it how it is. Well, and she's very like, yeah, she's very matter of fact. And it's interesting because she starts the movie kind of just as cold towards the humans as everybody else. Like she's like, well, you know, interesting. He's trying to talk. Well, mm-hmm. let's vivisect his brain yeah. and see what's going on. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, later is like trying to help him escape and stuff when mm-hmm. she learns like he's sentient and from the past and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, it's interesting. And then we also have Roddy McDowell playing Cornelius, who is yeah. uh, Zira's partner scientifically and romantically. Mm. <laughs> 
So Roddy McDowell, he reportedly became a merry prankster with the makeup, driving home with his makeup on and shocking some of the other drivers on the freeway. That would actually be hilarious to see, like, before the movie came out. Mm, Just driving down the street. He probably inspired the plot for the third one. Yeah, really. And Roddy McDowell's in... Nearly all of them. It's so he technically is in all of them if you count archival footage in the second yeah. one. Somebody else plays Cornelius in the second one because yeah. Roddy McDowell was out directing his own movie. So Roddy McDowell kind of plays this like voice of reason, I guess, but it's like he's scared of everything happening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's like, oh, we can't do that. Zero, we'll get in trouble. Zero, you gotta stop talking yeah, so Zero's much. Yeah, <laughs> all about like, well, you know, it's it's true. We should say it. Like, it's yeah. a fact. What how, what could be harmful about saying the facts? And he's yeah. like, no, they are going to murder us if we mm-hmm, try and go against mm-hmm. the, you know, the religion and the government and the military. Yeah. Uh, but I like him. I like him in a mm-hmm. lot of stuff. He's very like... Oh yeah, he's great. <laughs> I don't know. Fright Night, he's probably at his, his peak, <laughs> but he's pretty good in this one. He's great in, in everything. Um, I mean, yeah. What, what were the other things we wrote that we had seen him in? Uh, I forgot he was in Overboard and uh, Bugs Life. Class of 1984, he's really good. Yeah, he's like a he's like pistol-packing teacher. <laughs> yeah, he's losing his mind because the kids are going crazy. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. And Fright Night, too, also. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we got to talk about our man, Maurice Evans, who's playing Dr. Sayers, Dr. Sayers. Dr. Sayers, Dr. Sayers. Dr. Sayers, Dr. Sayers. Oh, Dr. Sayers. Dr. Sayers, Dr. Sayers. Cut off too soon. <laughs> so, Dr. Sayers is like the head orangutan. Well, this is, we basically did this whole podcast just so we just could do that. Just Simpson stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we know him from Rosemary's Baby, The Jerk, some of the other, uh, ape movies, but Dr. Zayas, how would you describe him? Cause he's, he's throughout most, all of the movies, well, his character. No. no, he's only in the first two. No, he pops up at the end. Fine. The orangutan persona. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, cause I actually like the, the orangutan scientist in the last one much better than Dr. Zayas. Dr. Yeah. Zayas is very like cold and calculating and like this is the way things are and uh even though it's not the truth the people can't well people apes won't won't understand (laughs) uh you know the truth and it'll destroy our whole society (laughs) probably heard ape and was like you rang ape no kill ape (laughs) um so yeah he's interesting and that's why i feel like watching the first movie again uh and kind of paying even closer attention to the stuff he says would be really interesting because it's uh it's very complicated and he's he's a character that's got kind of uh he's a little two faced like he's got motive, yeah. motives and what he says isn't always you know what's really going on. Yeah, he can be a little annoying. Well, yeah, he's kind of the villain of the movie. Yeah, because it's like his way or the highway and facts are bad. <laughs> yeah, and he's like he knows the truth the entire time but won't tell anybody. Yeah, yeah. Um, any other performances that stick out? Mm, I don't think so. If you had to choose an ape group to be a part of, which one would you be? I'd be a chimp for sure. Chimp? Oh, yeah. You don't want to be orangutan? No. We can all agree. We don't want to be in the gorilla. Gorillas are always <laughs> the bad guys. It's they're really, big dum-dums. But they're strong. <laughs> it is funny to me, speaking of that, that like 
This movie, all this whole franchise, all these movies have like these really strong social commentaries that are trying to say say things about society, and yet it's very much like their whole society is divided up. Like, well, if you're a gorilla, you're a military man. Yeah. If you're there's a chimp, no you're a scientist. Yeah. There's no like, yeah, it's very like uh cleanly divided that way, which yeah. is kind of goes against a lot of what the movies are saying, particularly uh, the fourth one. Yeah. Well, I would choose telepathic human. Well, that's not, <laughs> I'm just I didn't kidding. know that was an option. I want to be a mutant. <laughs> Let's be mutants be together. <laughs> but it'd be a monkey. I would be a uh, chimp. Okay. Although, is, is monkey a would bad word my, in this world? Would you be my Zira? <laughs> You'd be my Zira. Yeah, <laughs> monkey kidding. ends up being a bad word later. <laughs> it's like a hate word. <laughs> um. So, yeah, that pretty much covers all the performances. Harper, tell me about the sound and score. Well... Uh, this movie has a very famous uh, score by Sing Jerry it. Goldsmith. It doesn't really have like a main theme. That's oh, kind of the that's thing. That's annoying. <laughs> um, so I'll tell you about it. Jerry Goldsmith allegedly wore a gorilla mask while he was writing what? and conducting the score to, quote, better get in touch with the movie. I want to see behind the scene photos yes, of him. I probably exist. Uh, I love the pictures or videos of like Zira with like her makeup on She's like, like smoking. smoking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it said he also used a ram's horn in the process. Cool. The result was the first completely atonal score in a Hollywood movie. Some of the discordant musical sounds were created by using stainless steel kitchen mixing bowls. We have those. Should <laughs> we be making scores for movies? Yes. <laughs> Is this a score? That, that meme with the butterfly? Uh, yeah, it's very like percussive and... Yeah, it's very atypical for a score. And even for a Jerry Goldsmith score, it is because, you know, he, he did a lot of big movies. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty interesting, I thought, uh, that it kind of broke some, yeah. broke a lot of the rules with the scoring. I'm trying to remember if there was any clever sound, like, that they use for any of the scenes in the first one. Mm. I don't remember, like, the space space sounds or anything yeah i don't remember a lot because it goes by so fast and they never come back to the space stuff and then they really. use like generic monkey noises i mean <laughs> you know the sound of everybody the when everybody hears them talking for the first time he can talk he can talk he can talk he can talk he can talk, he can talk. i can sing <laughs> that's really what happens in the movie it does yeah it did <laughs> Um, so speaking of sound and score, it was actually, it was nominated for two Oscars and that's costume design and original score. Hmm. It didn't win either though, but it what did. beat? Could, <laughs> could you tell me what beat it or should I look it up? You should probably look it up and I will just start talking very slowly about how the makeup won the honorary award, which we already discussed and... Best. Sorry. I thought I <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, Romeo and Juliet <laughs> won costume design. It's just dresses. And score. Uh, the Lion in Winter. Don't know what that is. Uh, John Barry. Yeah. Perfect <laughs> example of why the Oscars pick dumb stuff. Like, what? Are, who's listening to the Lion in Winter score? Who's even ever heard of that movie? Not me. Yeah, and therefore, it's right. not good. <laughs> got that 
Um, this was also one of the first films to have a major large-scale merchandising tie-in. Move over, George Lucas. <laughs> Merchandise related to the film included toys and collectibles, action figures, pictures, storybooks, trading card sets, books, records, comics, and a series of graphic novels from Marvel Comics. Hmm. That's crazy. Yeah, no, that's a big deal, too. And you can tell how this was very much a precursor and surely an influence on the way um, George Lucas kind of went about making Star Wars because that was one of the big things he did differently was yeah. like, he, I think he forego, he, he didn't take a director's fee, but instead asked for the rights for the merchandising, which everybody was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and now he's a gazillionaire who eats at Panda Express. I don't know if I've ever seen like the Planet of the Apes action figures. I imagine you just get like chimpanzees mm-hmm. and stuff and a little astronaut and they like kiss. <laughs> yeah. I love you, Dr. Liz. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's talk about our favorite ape moment ape shall not kill ape <laughs> it, it, it works <laughs> sure i thought we were gonna make right. the, have the chimp have a comeback i Shouldn't forgot to it? fill in a favorite ape well, moment because i don't know what that means <laughs> your favorite ape moment <laughs> how's what that do you mean you came up with this you wrote out favorite ape <laughs> how's that different from the favorite scene though it is different because okay, like well, in the third one it's just like a montage of people right. wearing <laughs> apes wearing clothes you give me eight favorite ape moment <laughs> my favorite ape moment is when during the human hunt it's like before you realize this is a planet of the apes despite the title of the movie mm-hmm. and so taylor and nova and a bunch of other humans that don't talk are running through like a field or of wheat, like evil wheat or something. (laughs) (laughs) And then they're all being like hunted by these people on horseback. And so Taylor's like running for his lives. His little astronaut friends get separated. um, And then there's this very dramatic music moment where he sees them for the first time. And it's the ape, uh, the gorillas are on horseback yeah. and it's like they have shotguns and then it's like, oh my they God, they do have shotguns. Guns, really? Yes. Huh. He's like holding a shotgun and he's like, <laughs> <laughs> so that's when you get like this big reveal that the apes are in charge and things are really different on this planet. Things are going to get weird. Yeah, they're going to get weird. <laughs> uh, that's a pretty good ape moment. Yeah. Apes. <clears throat> <laughs> if you don't have one that's okay we can move uh, no, on I'll to give a you different a good one moment. take your sticking paws off me you <laughs> damn dirty ape because <laughs> that's when I'm like this man is no ape well that's basically your favorite scene so talk Whoops. about your favorite scene Forgot about that. <laughs> we'll just move uh, on here, here's my favorite scene take your sticking <laughs> paws off me you and then all the apes are like, he can talk, he can talk, he can talk. I'm going to take the soundboard away from you. (laughs) So tell me about (laughs) your favorite scene. Well, yeah, I just did the whole thing. We'll Um, set it up for the audience. (laughs) Well, yeah, it's, uh, they're, um, What's happening in the scene? <laughs> I'm sorry. We watched this he movie three escapes, months ago. And they're hunting him and they don't know that he can talk only zero knows. Right, and then right. he's like being hung up by in a net. And I think they're like poking him or something. Yeah. I think it's when they capture him. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. And then he says that uh, famous line. <laughs> and then, um, and then they're like, 
he can talk he, he can, can talk. talk he can talk <laughs> um yeah but obviously that's when they're all like what i mean imagine if we were like you know if you went to the pound and got a dog and then it was something like get your hands off me you dirty human You'd also like, to what? realize that they think so little of us <laughs> well yeah i'd be sad what if we found out harley was like you stinking humans i mean she kind of does she when does. she makes that weird mouth yeah she does make a stinky face at us a lot all right, so my favorite scene is actually the end of the movie. It's the big reveal um, where, spoiler, <laughs> Taylor spoiler and Nova year go off movie. on a, a lovely romantic horse ride down the beach looking for answers in the Forbidden Zone. And then they come around a corner and it is the Statue of Liberty. And he starts yelling... You maniacs! You blew it up! Ah, damn you! God damn you all to hell! And he gives his 110% performance. (laughs) Yes, Uh, it is a phenomenal ending. It really is, because then it just ends and it's like, oh my God, it was Earth all along! (laughs) That is one thing that all five of these movies have stellar endings that are like whoa like yeah. really kind of take you aback because they are very in, uh, impactful kind of wild endings mm-hmm. I think that's what the franchise overall does best um, but also that ending is particularly cool because yes the line's really famous and yes it's like a famous twist but also I think what's really cool about it is that it explains so much about like what's been going on and 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 gives you this major twist Basically, with just a single visual, like yeah. just the visual of a dilapidated uh, statue, statue of Liberty. Liberty. You know, it's um, there's no explanation. I mean, he he says it, but before he says anything, there's no explanation needed. Like you understand completely. Like, oh my god, like he's he's not just on another planet in the future. He's he didn't go anywhere. He's yeah, just just to the future. Yeah, because they're kind of hinting at stuff throughout the movie, but never really explain it because there's like the arch- archaeological dig site. Or they're like, well, these humans used to be smart. What happened? And stuff like that. I thought that was in the second one. No. Oh, okay. Well, I'm pre- actually, I don't know now. Well, because I think they you're led to believe that this is a planet where apes evolved from humans rather yeah. than the other way around. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, then obviously you find out that's not exactly what happened. Nope, it's not. Um. So, yeah, that has like the best ending of a movie it's pretty fantastic it's i mean if we, i think one day we need to do our, our favorite movie endings episode yeah we've talked about that before it's um, be a spoiler heavy movie yeah, yeah, <laughs> episode. Um, but this one definitely is high up there for sure um were there any other favorite scenes that would have made your list or just like storyline arcs coming together nothing like particularly like it's it's just a i mean when he finds out that um that the other guy that was with him was um, was like lobotomized is pretty good. Oh, yeah. So his little second astronaut friend. Yeah. Sadly, not the black astronaut who gets the killed. The black like astronaut right ends up in the museum. Oh, right. Ooh. He finds him Ooh. later on. That's not creepy at all. Yikes. Um, but yeah, his they're like, they're, they want him to prove that he came from another planet and like they can't go to the forbidden zone. So they're like, who's like, well, there's another astronaut with me. He can speak too. And then eventually they find him, but he's like completely brain dead because they experimented on him. That is correct. And then he has no proof. Nothing at all. Nada. Yeah, that's a pretty brutal <laughs> scene. You're like, wow, that was his last, uh, you know, um, 
connection to be able to prove that he was that he's from another yeah. planet. Um, so we've already talked about some best lines, but let's keep doing some lines. He can talk, he can talk, he can talk, he can talk. <laughs> so we did we already do yours? No. Well, let's, oh, yes, we did. <laughs> let's I'm do sorry. it again. <laughs> you maniac! <laughs> you blow it up! Ah, uh, damn you! <laughs> God damn you all to hell! H-E double hockey sticks. Do you think um, Carlton Heston said that every time he like burn his toast? Or Definitely. Anything? Like, I want to know what he was like in real life. Like, was he this Kurt? <laughs> Intense. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> um, if a man like that went up to the counter and said, "Hello, I'm the president of the NRA. <laughs> yeah. Give me a gun." <laughs> Give me say? a gun. <laughs> no, get You're out of here. <laughs> um. So my favorite line has to be. It's a manhouse. A manhouse. So that's when he's being held captive and being sprayed by a fire hose by gorillas. That's a really good one. And that's a good scene too. Cause that's another one where like his overacting really actually works because you're like, he's just like, what is happening yeah. to me? <laughs> I'm in a cage. They want me to impregnate this girl who can't talk. And all the chimps are like saying they're going to open my brain. <laughs> like, yeah. It's a madhouse. And I, I mean, I should have gotten a clip from this, but uh, I always remember that line because, um, uh, there's a, is it Anthrax? I think it's Anthrax has a song based on that. And it goes, it's a madhouse. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's a lot of great lines throughout this whole movie. And you'll notice in a year from now <laughs> that most of these lines are redone in the first of the newer movies. Not in the Tim Burton one, but in the other one. You don't remember that? There's, because uh, in the first, is it Dawn or, I think it's Dawn is the first one. Uh, t- oh my God. The kid that plays. Um, James Franco. No. Oh my God. I hate when I do this. <laughs> the, he's the bad kid from Harry Potter. Tom something Felt, or other. Felt, Felton. Tom Felton. Remember, he's like working <laughs> at the zoo or whatever, and he's like yeah. the really cruel, and he's like, get your hands off me, you yeah, I do remember that one. Yeah. And it was like, that feels a little forced. <laughs> yeah. And the madhouse line is in there too, somewhere, I think. James Franco's like, it's a madhouse. A madhouse. Yeah. <laughs> it, there's like, they really shoehorn in a bunch of these lines yeah. into that movie, if I remember correctly. <laughs> we can do it when we do our second volume. Who said it better? And we'll play both lines. Yeah. <laughs> and it'll just be Charlton Heston screaming at and, the top of his lungs. Will yeah. <laughs> um, so, any other thoughts before we discuss what it does better than the others? Mm, no. Any other moments you want to talk about that stuck out? I will say that there's like, I do, it's a little like dialogue heavy, but whenever they're debating with one and each other, yeah. like the chimps and gorillas and orangutans about what to do or why they're right and the others wrong. I do think it's interesting. Yeah, I do. I agree. I do think it's interesting. I kind of, the only thing I wish for this, fran- not the only thing, but one of the things I wish for this franchise is that like, like I kind of wish the ape society ever had, was more like, built out in terms of like like they just you know it's very like unevolved like they live in like the desert and like these mud huts and like there's not like like you expect i kind of almost wonder if it would have worked better if it was more like a regular human society with buildings and you know yeah you know blah 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 cars or whatever and but everybody was apes instead of people like 
I know it's probably cheaper to do it this way. And I'm sure the book is like that too, but. I thought it was more that they were just like kind of early on in where human evolution was, where they're like in the Renaissance period right now. Sure. Discussing like science versus religion. As we'll learn later in these movies, they play very fast and loose with how long it takes for things to evolve and change. (laughs) Maybe it took 2000 years for this to happen, but in the other movies, it's like five years. Yeah. We will discuss that. But yeah. that's why I took it to me like, well, they're still early in their like evolution. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I technological right. advancement. But I wish at some point in the other movies we'd gotten a more like advanced ape culture. Yeah. But anyways. I agree with that. So what do you think it does better than the others? You go first. So I think it definitely explores the human-animal relationship more um, and how we treat one another. Mm-hmm. It has... The best big reveals, and I feel like it incorporates more sci-fi elements, mainly the space intro, so you get sure. more space stuff. Yeah, more like direct. Like, a lot of the movies have, like, a sci-fi element. I mean, I don't know. I think the second one's probably the most sci-fi. We'll talk about that when we get the yeah. second one. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I would agree that I think what particularly makes this one great is the ending. Definitely. Uh, is, is, I mean, a lot of them have crazy ass endings, <laughs> but yeah. this one is particularly like, wow. I mean, people must've just been like walking out in a daze from the theater. Yeah. They might've been like, Oh my God, I was wrong. It was earth all along. You finally made a monkey. Yes, you finally made a monkey. Yes, you finally I mean, could the ending get any better than that? It cannot. (laughs) So let's move on to the second one. So the second film is Beneath the Planet of the Apes, which came out in 1970. The year, 3,955. Charlton Heston as Taylor, a 20th century astronaut, space-wrecked in the incredible future. Linda Harrison as Nova, a savage beauty from the enslaved and voiceless human race. They're marked for target practice. James Franciscus as astronaut Brent on a reckless mission to rescue Taylor, trapped by the swaggering, brutal master race of apes who dominate the Earth. A planet shattered by the atomic war of a distant, forgotten past. Where are you going? Into the Forbidden Zone. Someone or something has outwitted the intelligence of the gorillas. Invade! Invade! Face the terrifying dangers of the Forbidden Zone with them. Engulfing you in the shattering experiences that await beneath the planet of the apes. Well, there's an intelligence working in this place. They know we're here. We are determined to know what the apes want. War or peace? The superintelligent mutants. Are they human or something else? In their church, an unspeakable god. Doomsday bomb. Behind their faces, an unbearable secret. We don't kill our enemies. We get our enemies to kill each other. 
the irresistible war machine of the guerrilla army versus the devastating secret mind weapons of the subterranean mutants in civilization's final battle to answer the ultimate question. Can a planet long endure half human and half ape? Is it the beginning or the end? So, Beneath the Planet of the Apes came out two years after the first one, which is pretty short of a turnaround. Um, But it was directed by Ted Post, who did Magnum Force and The Baby, which we have discussed on a previous episode. (laughs) First of all, you say it's a short turnaround. It is the longest turnaround in the entire franchise. <laughs> the rest of them are all They're a year like apart. scream territory. <laughs> yeah. The baby. Can you believe the that? Baby. The guy that directed The Baby directed this movie. The Baby is a crazy movie. Crazy person. Some movie. would even say... Weird, weird, weird. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If there's a movie that that clip was made for. Yeah. Um. Uh. So, the Beneath the Planet of the Apes is the... Follows the sole survivor of an interplanetary rescue mission who searches for the only survivor of the previous expedition. And he discovers a planet ruled by apes in an underground city run by telepathic humans. And it was written by Mort Abrahams, who did nothing else. Pretty much, yeah. And the story and screenplay by Paul Den, Den. who did Goldfinger and Murder on the Orient Express. So that's kind of cool. Those Mm -hmm. are good ones. So this film had a reduced budget from, well, it originally had a $5 million budget, but they had to reduce it to $2.5 million due to what issues thinking? What with Fox. Thinking? <laughs> um, but it ended up having a box office total of $19 million. So they made their money back. How crazy is it to live in a world where they were, they were like, this movie made a gazillion dollars. Let's do another one, uh, but let's do it for like a third of the budget. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. These mm. days they just throw more money at it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this film stars James Franciscus, who is basically Charlton Heston's long lost twin. That's a problem I have. And with it this is movie. so confusing because he looks exactly like well, him. That's the so I really like this one. Yeah. But I know I'm probably jumping ahead a little here, but the beginning of this movie is so exactly like the first movie that it's really boring for the first like half hour because it's literally like a blonde white guy lands on the same planet in Mm -hmm. the same spaceship Mm -hmm. and makes his way and finds out that apes and finds the same woman who can't talk. (laughs) Yeah. It's like exactly the first movie. And they even said they cast that guy because he looked like Charlton Heston. It's like, why would you do that? It's really confusing. Um, um, well, anyways, we'll talk about Charlton yeah. Heston in the role, yeah. <laughs> but we also have Kim Hunter, Maurice Evans, Linda Harrison, Paul Richards, Victor Buono, James Gregory, Jeff Corey, Natalie Trundy, and Charlton Heston. Correct. So. Charlton Heston, you know what? Well, never mind. Go ahead. <laughs> what? Uh, <I'm laughs> just trying to do transitions and messing it all up. <laughs> what are you talking about? You'll find out in a few minutes. All right, so overall, what's your first uh, impression of this movie? So, <laughs> um, <laughs> I like this one a good bit. Um, it's a mess, but it's a fun mess, yeah. I think, is how I would probably describe it. Um, 
like I said, the opening is kind of terrible. Like it's such a repeat of the first movie. Yeah. Um, because like we said, spaceship lands on a planet. He gets lost in the desert. Nova tries to help him, but can't talk. They go and find Cornelius and Zira. The same issues ensue. They yeah. have to escape. It's just like a condensed <laughs> version of the first movie, except yeah. that he's looking for Charlton Heston Taylor. Um, and, and he also accepts the like ape world pretty easily. Well, yeah, he's which like, is, oh, thank God, because otherwise it'd literally be the whole first movie again. Yeah, but you do get the weird things where Charlton Heston is like, uh, he's like falls into a like a holographic wall or something, you know. <laughs> disappears yeah. into, into a Yeah, cliff. it's very weird and confusing because you're like, you're like why are there happening? walls of fire like in the desert? What yeah. is going At on? At first I was like, is this a terrible effect or yeah. is it supposed to look like that? <laughs> that's supposed to look like that. Um, but once you get past that stuff, when, when um, what's the main guy's name in this one? Uh, I'll look it up. And when he... Um, Brent. When Brent... Brent. Brent. Inside joke. Uh, when Brent uh, <laughs> discovers like the subway, he's already... It's kind of funny because he immediately, he finds the same... Comes to the same conclusion that Taylor did in the first movie, but he's like, wow. <laughs> yeah. This is where I used to live. <laughs> Very different reaction. But um, that's when it gets really interesting. Oh, wow. You're like, okay. Not only is there more of human society that's like left in terms of like these buildings and stuff, but then you find out the weird people that are still around the yeah. humans. And that's where it gets super bizarre and interesting. This is probably the wackiest of the movies. It is. It it takes an abrupt turn, but for the, the better, the good. <laughs> and we're also, we're going to talk about it, but uh, oh man, the ending of this movie is got to be one of the ballsiest movie ends <laughs> of all time. Um, well, tell me how Charlton Heston felt about a sequel. Well, it's a good thing I know exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he was really reluctant to reprise the role of George Taylor for the movie because he thought that Taylor's struggles were what drove the first movie and that story had already reached a conclusion. So a sequel, in his opinion, would be a lackluster, ad quote, adventure amongst the monkeys. Um, he eventually agreed to appear on the condition that his scenes had to be shot within a two-week period and he insisted Taylor had to be killed. Uh, he agreed to a compromise in which he'd disappear in the beginning of the film and reappear to die at the end, which is so strange. <laughs> Very but, uh, weird. Like they wrote the movie around that. Um, and uh, he claims in a documentary called Behind the Planet of the Apes that he personally suggested the ending, spoiler, saying, why don't I just set off this bomb and destroy the world? <laughs> that's the end of the sequels. <laughs> He's like, that's it. I'm not doing any more of these movies. No more. <laughs> but, and then just then uh, you hear Harrison Ford somewhere off in the distance saying, man, I wish I had thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, he did, but then he keeps coming back. Yeah. He, he acts like he doesn't like it. <laughs> but yeah, um, so yeah, Charlton Heston's uh, Idea and his idea, maybe. I mean, that's I find that a little, I'm a little skeptical about, but yeah, his contractual stuff about it, I do buy that. And it's weird that some of the weirdness of this movie is kind of to write around his like uh agreement, <laughs> yeah. And when the first writer was contacted to kind of write a sequel to the movie, he came up with the idea of like underground ruins and a leftover atomic bomb. And so he ended up incorporating that into the original treatment of the film um, with a few details from Pierre Boulet's screenplay, Planet of the Men. What was that? Uh, <laughs> I, th I don't know, actually. Planet of the 
Is it like the opposite? That might be like the sequel. Is that book? number three? Movie three? <laughs> Planet of the Men. Anyway, so this movie has a lot going on for it. Unlike the first, well, you get the entire first movie condensed into like 30 minutes, but then the whole second movie takes an abrupt turn where you get this very crazy sci fi element where uh, the lookalike Taylor has to go underground with Nova and escape. And that's where you get like this old um, in the Forbidden Zone. The uh, like sub New York City subway system, the uh, New York Public Library. Mm-hmm. There's like these weird fountains. Oh, it's actually cooler than that to begin with because they reached like this tunnel. Like at the end of the tunnel, there's like this bright light and this sound, like oh, making yeah. them come towards it. Um, so they're following this, not knowing what's going to be at the end, and then they go deeper and deeper and deeper, and then you meet the weird telepathic humans. Uh, sorry to interrupt, but I'm being told by our producer. Planet of the Men was Pierre Bull's Pierre Bull, uh, his, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. his screenplay for a sequel in which a messianic tailor, 14 years after the events of Planet of the Apes, leads an uprising against the apes, following which they reverted back to their primal states. Aww, which is, that's kind of lame. So I'm glad they went yeah. this bizarre direction instead. Bring on the weirdness. Yep. So telepathic humans is a nice twist that Whoa. i was not expecting also Whoa. they're pretty evil they're just crazy because they're like we don't kill people you're gonna kill people yeah. <laughs> but they say it in his mind because <laughs> they're telepathic and they can like i don't know give you brain aneurysms like, whenever they want yeah exactly that's all harper no soundboards <laughs> yeah i was doing my best police academy kind of thing yeah <laughs> um and we find out that they are actually the weird ones conducting all the weird hallucinations in the forbidden zone so the giant firewalls and like there's a scene where like the gorillas see they're like god figure monkey figure caesar statue and he's like bleeding or something and and there's like uh apes like um being hung from like stakes yeah dead apes like a warning it's like all supposed to like keep the apes away from the human civilization Yeah. yeah and i don't remember what exactly why they uh let brant come into their little habitat is it because the gorillas start attacking Mm, well they take them captive but I don't remember why they don't kill them right away yeah I don't remember if that's clear or not I don't know but yeah then they get held captive and they just find out that this telepathic human society is a lot larger than they thought and they all worship an atomic bomb the big one the big one (laughs) that's the alpha and the omega that's where this movie gets real crazy that's why we like it (laughs) yeah so let's talk about the underground world versus the ape world okay so (laughs) although i guess i kind of already did i mentioned like all the new york city stuff Mm -hmm. the ape world is still kind of boring it's just like flintstone houses and trees although you get a little more in this one um i do like that they add in like kind of Vietnam War protest style stuff where the chimps are yeah. like, no war, no war. This yeah. very like half-hearted protest. Go ahead. Ape shall not kill ape. And the, the gorillas are like, Mm-mm, like we're going to go find Taylor and, and uh, yeah. figure out what's going on. And um, yeah, so that's kind of interesting. I wish there was a lot more of that because that's a in- really interesting idea to fold that in, especially in 1970. And it's also interesting that these 
humans are just like underground the whole time and that they don't know about them. Well, because they put up these like, yeah, you know, telepathic guards and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, the design of the like, actually, once I get into like that human civilization is that is where is probably the only time in the entire franchise, except for maybe like the very beginning of the first movie in the spaceship that feels very like old school sci-fi. Like yeah. Because I think in a lot of ways, there's like for science fiction movies, there's like pre Planet of the Apes and post Planet of the Apes. And that's the, those are the moments that are the most pre Planet of the Apes because mm-hmm. it's very like, Oh, the future, futuristic humans. Oh, everything must be like white and sterile and everybody must wear like gender, gender neutral, like white robes. And, you know, it's just, it's, that's a very like old school kind of, yeah, I would say kind of a boring, uh, science fiction. And they don't have buttons. They aesthetic. have crystals that right. light up. <laughs> it's a very boring aesthetic, but I mean, it's a fun, not boring is not the right word. It's a very Simple. overused yeah. aesthetic, but it is fun in its own kind mm-hmm. of nostalgic, goofy sort of way. Yeah. Um, so, but I do like how they sort of reveal it. I don't think they went deep enough because they kind of just like fall into a cave and then it's like, oh, this is a subway. <laughs> like, yeah. like no one ever realized that was there before. Yeah, this movie, <laughs> if it came out now, it'd be like two hours and 45 minutes. Yeah. Long, for sure. <laughs> they just um, blaze through some crazy stuff. And I was just thinking like, none of that stuff would still be here. It's been like thousands of years. It all would have disintegrated. Years. Like, yeah. come on. Uh, but yeah, we also get some expanded makeup for this, which I think is oh super effective and cool. So like the uh, the gorilla stuff and the orangutans, they all are kind of similar from the first one. I yeah, don't think there good. is anything that different. Or Although I will complain that this is not necessarily a makeup thing, but... For a movie based on apes, they do not like swing around trees that much, and it bothers me. It was a complaint Michelle had until I had to register. You were like, okay, finally, we got one person swung in a tree, and that was it. Yeah, that's another (laughs) odd thing is like, these are apes. Like, they should. Why is why is why are they not living in the jungle? Why is it like the desert? Well, I don't know about that. Probably because the desert monkeys. Well, they're not in the desert. They do have trees mm, yeah i suppose but it's very <laughs> d- desert they stay away from the desert but i guess maybe the desert like is also supposed to be like nuclear waste yes so fair enough but yeah i do appreciate <clears throat> in the newer ones that they're like actually apes and they actually do ape things like climbing and scaling stuff like mm-hmm. and so like ones, when it, you mean like the newest new new ones okay, i yeah. don't remember if the tim burton ones do or not yeah i don't either um but yeah, so when there's like this underground battle thing, I was just like, why can't they be like swinging around? Anyway, telepathic humans have this great makeup effect where they reveal their true selves their and selves. take off their faces and it's like this human uh, radiated no skin just veins pin people <laughs> pin people is a good way to put yeah. it yeah very anatomical <laughs> it is great i love that they were all mutated in the same way too it's convenient yeah and i was reading something i saw this behind the scene like two minute clip about the makeup choices and how originally they were thinking like okay radiation mutations will have like a third eye or like a missing ear and the whoever made the final decision was like no i don't want any of that and he opened like a medical book and Mm -hmm. saw something no skin and he's like that's what i want well that's kind of cool yeah well the original design idea sounds like the uh the people that live in the sewers in futurama yeah (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, so I do appreciate the entire underground world for production yeah. design and makeup. It's, yeah, it's effective and great. That part's a lot of fun. And they worship a big old bomb. Oh, do they ever. Yes. So let's talk about the performances that we liked or didn't like. Right. So Nova still doesn't talk. No, she says one word in this movie. She says a man's word <laughs> name. It's not like uh, it, actually. I watched the clip today, and it reminds me a lot of that. Um, that uh, Miss Bronze. yeah, that Miss Universe lady who's like wrong. Yeah, uh, she goes. Nova says like terror, terror. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she gets her one line. Great performance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just run around, look pretty. Um, telepathic humans. I think How their performances, they they're a little stiff, but they've been under <laughs> underground a while. A little stiff. They're not very social. Yeah, or they're like, hello, emotive. my name is yeah. Dornov. Exactly. And I am telepathic. Except they don't even move their mouths. That's <laughs> true. Um, but then eventually, oh my God, for the first like five minutes that they're there, the conversation between them and Brent is just like, they're like, yeah. <laughs> and then Brent's like, no. Yeah. It's <laughs> and very then like, weird. <laughs> and he's like, well, what do you mean? And they're like, Aah. and you're like, oh my God, it's seriously the rest of the movie. Gonna be-. And then finally yeah. they're like, we will now use our primitive mouths yeah. to speak. And like, thank God. <laughs> yeah, that goes on a little It long. really does. It's like, what is happening? It's insane. Um, and then we also get the Charlton Heston lookalike yeah, doing his best Char- Charlton <laughs> Charleston, Charleston. <laughs> uh, impression. So when they're in the same scene together, it's like, oh, mirror. <laughs> Am I seeing double? What? <laughs> so he doesn't really bring or take away anything. No, he's pretty uh, boring as a character. Um, Dr. Zero is basically the same, but we do get, what's her name? Natalie Trundy is like yes. the telepathic lady. She's like the main telepathic yeah. woman. Yeah. And she ends up showing up in other movies. She's in all of the rest of them. Yes. Um, any other performances? What mm. about our man? Dr. So he is kind of like leading the army. Well, and he's like to find the underground people. He's doing it like uh only because he's like, well, I'll make sure these gorillas don't get into trouble. Yeah, he's very reluctant. Yeah, because he kind of knows. I don't think I don't know if he knows about the underground humans, but he knows about like, you know, humans in general. Yeah. And but he doesn't really want them to find out because it's like it would break their society to know. Mm-hmm. It would. <laughs> yeah. So that's Dr. Zayas's role. Or were there any other performances? I guess we didn't mention that uh, Cornelius is played by somebody else and not Roddy McDowell. Yeah, he has one. way less lines in this movie because I guess because it's not Roddy McDowell. Yeah, we don't care. Get out of here, David Watson. Sorry, dude. <laughs> um, any other performances? No. Any other performances? <laughs> oh, we've got one right here. What? Uh, what? What do you think about the performances? Oh God! Uh huh. Uh, oh yes. Oh my God! I see. You're ridiculous. <laughs> so score and sound. Unlike the first one, this did not get nominated for score. 
didn't so, get nominated for nothing. Nothing. Um, but the music was composed by Leonard Rosenman, who did Barry Lyndon, Robo Without a Cause, East of Eden. Star Trek Four, RoboCop 2, Lord of the Rings animated film, and some other ape, ape stuff. <laughs> other ape stuff? What other ape stuff? The f- Battle for the Planet of the Apes. Oh, okay. Sorry. Like, other you, ape stuff. Other ape stuff. <laughs> um, but you've already been recreating a lot of the sounds of this movie, so I'm guessing this has better sound design than the first one. What other sounds? Oh, the- <laughs> yeah. And yeah. you're like, <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Telepathic. Yeah. <laughs> um, did you notice anything else that stood out? No, nah, not really. No. I mean, no. <laughs> no. Not no, no good sounds. Okay. Um, tell me some miscellaneous trivia. Oh, I got one piece. Tell me. So, despite the original being a significant success, the budget was slashed. We talked about that. Yes. From $5 million to $2.5 million. Yes, yes, yes. This is mainly due to 20th Century Fox teetering on the brink of bankruptcy, which is hard to believe now. Mm-hmm. Um, following some majorly expensive failures. Now, this is where it gets funny to me. The failures that they mention are Hello, Dolly, Star, and Tora, Tora, Tora. All movies with exclamation points in the title. That's funny. <laughs> Do you think they would have learned this their This one should have had one. Yeah. Beneath the planet of the apes. Yeah, like Godspeed. <laughs> yeah. Um, the recruiting of Ted Post as the director was instrumental here as he was used used to minimal budgets and shortened schedules because he normally worked on TV. TV movies. Um, oh. Also, that this also reminded me of something funny that's kind of related. So the fact that three movies failed that had exclamation points, they were probably like, we're never doing that again. Yeah. Um, in comic books, I think... Probably around this time, or yeah, it was like 60s. I wonder if it was, the. I had to look up to see if it was related to Planet of the Apes or not, but there was this whole thing that happened for a while in comic books where they figured out that statistically, if a comic book had a, had a, a monkey on the cover, it would sell better. <laughs> <laughs> so they came up with all kinds of reasons and uh, excuses to put like gorillas and chimps and stuff. That's why there are several DC characters super villains that are monkeys yeah um because they wanted to do they would sell more books if they had monkeys on the cover <laughs> isn't that weird i mean i would buy one if there's a cute chimp on it they weren't cute they were evil <laughs> evil usually. monkeys oh yeah usually a bad gorilla <laughs> like gorilla grod or the ultra humanite for to yeah. give you two examples <laughs> all right well let's dive into some of our favorite moments Oh boy, favorite eight moment again. Nothing for Harper. Well, I actually wasn't sure about this one. For years, so don't because even... like this movie isn't really based oh, okay. around the eight moments. It's based around the human moments. Well, I've got one. My favorite eight moment is when they're doing their little half-hearted Vietnam protest. Okay. With like five <laughs> chimps. Yeah, they're like, no, war, peace, yeah. or whatever. I wish they were like hippie monkeys. What yeah, they, they should have like, long hair. Yeah, what if like they're chimps with long hair and they have, they were wearing like flowers? Yeah, that's a like, good Don't one. fight the humans, man. Yeah, I just wrote like, I like the scenes where they debate stuff yeah. but there's nothing like different from the first one really they no, don't really agreed. explore more of the ape world i agree besides making like the like military gorillas like a thing where they're like oh we can't trust the gorillas they yeah. just want to go to war yeah Racist. so not too many great ape moments but let's talk about our favorite scenes okay 
which I, I think, think we, we both, both have agree. the same. <laughs> so let's let's set it up first, and then we'll then we'll roll the clip. All right. Okay. So there's like a huge cathedral with a giant atomic bomb in the front of the pedestal. Go on. And so they're holding like a, a church service, worshiping this bomb, and then they review. Uh, reveal their true selves by taking off their skin and it shows all the like radiation but it's like they look it's like face off like they f- just yeah, take their faces or, off or like you remember that commercial where that lady was like you think i'm cute or whatever and yeah. then she takes her face off and, and smokey she's the smokey bear. the bear <laughs> so yeah and then there's there's like a whole easter sunday service around this bomb <laughs> and they're just singing and dancing and oh, man. amen the choir is so good and that's that's what we want to play for you all right now. And like all hymns, it makes zero sense. It's crazy. It's like, <laughs> and it sounds awful. It's so insane. That whole yeah. scene is just like, wow, this is wild. It's it is insane. very crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and they're like uh well i think you're is one of, is your line the one mm-hmm. yeah okay um so yeah one of my favorite lines he can talk 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 no it's gone crazy <laughs> um so i like when the little priest dude is like glory be to the bomb and to the holy fallout as it was in the beginning is now and ever shall be world without end amen <laughs> Almighty bomb. Yeah. but yeah it feels very dr strange love to me that entire like worshiping the bomb oh yeah for sure i love it i love it <laughs> uh and my favorite line which apparently was your runner-up. I didn't even see that. Um, we, uh, I think we should talk about the very end of the movie to get into that line. Okay. So the apes invade the human city, which is kind of weird a little bit. Thick. I, I was like expecting a little more in there because like there's all these weird like traps and like thing. The, the humans seem like they've set up all this stuff to like keep apes out and to um, maybe draw like potential humans in. Like it's really unclear about They're that very selective alarm thing. Every time <laughs> yeah. you touch the ladder and stuff, it's really weird, but they never show that with the apes, like whatever they just show mm-hmm. up in the city. Um, so the apes invade and there's like this big like battle between the apes and the humans and the humans are like, uh, it's time, like use the bomb. And, um, Charlton Heston is like, I hate every ape I see <laughs> from chimpanzee to chimpanzee. Who's a nice voice. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, <laughs> and with his final dying breath, he hits the magic crystals. <laughs> well, wait, he doesn't do it, does he? Isn't yeah. it? I thought the human guy. Oh, t- Brent. No, the one of the one of the telepathic humans am i totally wrong about you're totally that? wrong it's either brent or taylor really okay all right anyways one way or another <laughs> the alpha and omega doomsday bomb gets set off and basically the screen just goes white and then this weird voiceover all of a sudden just says in one of countless billions of galaxies in the universe lies a medium-sized star 
and one of its satellites, a green and insignificant planet, is now dead. <laughs> and you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> the planet exploded? Yeah. Like, well, I guess that's it's the, the end of The bomb this. to end all life and worlds. <laughs> that's the end of this franchise, right? Yeah. Wrong. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that it's got to be one of the most ballsy endings I've ever seen in a movie. But doesn't um, Escape from L.A. Uh, kind of have a similar ending? I just remember Kurt Russell surfing, so I don't know. I'm pretty sure he like <laughs> holds the planet hostage with a bomb, like a doomsday bomb, and then he might maybe blows it up. I can't remember because that movie's terrible. I've seen it once. So the ending of the movie, with his dying breath, Taylor spat the words, right. it's doomsday. His body fell forward, his hand slamming upon the missile launch controls. The final crystal slides into place. Fair enough. So you go, Taylor. He was like, I'm not doing another one of these exactly. goddamn movies. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that ending is insane. Yes. Because you then you are like, this is it, I guess. The end of the franchise, they really didn't want to do another one. Like, oh no, it made a bunch of money again. We got to find a way to bring the planet back. Yeah. Um, any other standout scenes or moments you want to talk about or overall thoughts? No. no. I mean, uh, we'll talk about all our rankings at the end of this. Yeah. But this one definitely saves itself with the twist. Oh yeah, no, the last like half hour is insane yeah. for sure, uh, and is a lot. It is the most sci-fi that the franchise ever gets for sure, for better or for worse. Yeah. So <laughs> for what I think it does better than the others, I said it gets all sci-fi and weird very abruptly in an unexpected twist. So that's what it does best. It's twisty. <laughs> it's definitely the weirdest of, of the five, no question. I, I wrote it's the most bonkers. Yeah. I mean, because you got like holograms and tele- telepathy and <laughs> people worshiping a bomb and mutants. and Yeah, I mean, no skin. Know. The rest of the movies seem very like down to earth compared to this one, for sure. Yeah, and it sucks because like, I mean, I, the third one is a little weird, but in a co- comedic way. So we'll get to it, yeah. it's funny how they like, go complete opposite after this one. Yeah, they kind of, all five of the movies really have like very different kind of um, uh, feels to them, like different aesthetics and stuff. Like the first one's like this very like gritty and dirty social commentary sci-fi movie. The second one is like, uh, like okay, let's do that again, but this time make it even more sci-fi, like yeah. really old school sci-fi third one's like okay let's make it kind of funny and make it a little bit more like like you know poking fun at problems in current day society fourth one is like okay let's get like serious about like revolution and racism and then the fifth one is like uh okay let's actually finally show how ape society works yeah (laughs) or doesn't work (laughs) so they all kind of take these very different approaches like the beginning of this one is really the only time I feel like they really repeat themselves. Yeah. In a really like strong way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's pretty crazy. It is. Um, and I guess we'll move on to the next one. Because you finally made a monkey out <laughs> of me. <laughs> I love you, Doctor Zayas. So, escape from the planet. Of the Apes, which came out in 1971. This is Dr. Zero, her loving husband Cornelius, and little Milo. The most dangerous to man is little Milo. Why? The time is 1973. The place is right here on Earth. 
How did they get here? What is their reception? Welcome, gentlemen, to the United States. Escape from the planet of the apes. Their adventures are completely fresh, completely new. Astonishingly different from what you experienced in Planet of the Apes and beneath the Planet of the Apes. At first, feared and imprisoned. We'll take the female first. Well, she seems to be pretty smart. All right, we'll go for the banana. Well, why doesn't she take it? Because I loathe bananas. I don't believe it. Sarah, are you mad? Until we know who our friends are and who our enemies... And how in the name of God are we to know that unless we communicate? We can speak, so I spoke. The president convenes a special board of inquiry. Have you a name? Zira. Does the other one talk? Only when she lets me. <laughs> Embraced by our civilization, the nation gives them a hero's welcome. Address, please. The zoo. <laughs> what is it? Well, it's sort of uh, like grape juice plus. How is that? Very wet. It's certainly the most incredible story this reporter has ever covered. And you share the impact of every incredible moment. Must have been the shock. Shock, my foot. I'm pregnant. The president's chief advisor wants them murdered, or else the human race cannot survive. The escape. The birth of an infant who could threaten man's very existence. You're the second human I've kissed. You are the first. The relentless chase. Stunning climax. Sarah, I want that baby. If you won't give it to me, I'll shoot. Why was Washington thrown into a turmoil by this one baby? Stop him! Escape from the planet of the apes. Directed by Don Taylor, who did The Island of Dr. Moreau and The Final Countdown, which I didn't know was a movie. I thought it was just an experience. I can't remember what that was about. <laughs> I looked it up. Um, probably some sports movie. No, I think it's like a sci-fi movie. <laughs> it is also written by Paul Den, who he did the other ones, right? He, yeah, he wrote a story for most of the sequels. Uh, oh, yeah. No, the final countdown sounded cool. That's why I put it on there. A modern aircraft character is carrier is thrown back in time to 1941 near Hawaii just hours before the attack on Pearl Harbor. Oh, my God. Kind of an interesting idea. <laughs> I wonder if it's any good. That's not interesting. And speaking of interesting, let's, let's hear from the lawgiver. I guess. Again, on the what the Escape from the Planet of the Apes is about. 71st Scroll, Chapter 3. <laughs> and it came to pass the three apes escaped the end of times and traveled to a distant day. And it was in this far-off time that they learned the true nature of man, planting the seeds for the great prophecy foretold 
by the sacred scroll. Uh, he's always scrolls. going Get out on of here. about no, the scrolls. No, no lawgiver, no. <laughs> um, so if you didn't understand that drabby dude, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the world is shocked by the appearance of three talking chimpanzees who arrived mysteriously in a U.S. spacecraft and they become the toast of society, but one man believes them to be a threat to the human race. Yeah, so if you didn't know what the movie's about when you start it, it starts like a spaceship landing, like the same spaceship from the previous two movies, yeah. landing in the water on Earth, and some human scientists or military or whatever go to open it up, and then when they take the helmets off, they're like, oh my God, it's apes! Yeah. How wacky. And then they're like, he can talk, he can talk, he can talk, he can talk! He can. Well, not right away. <laughs> Oh, I thought like, they did talk. <laughs> no, remember because oh, they, yeah, they like, they're like and, they're monkeys yeah, they're in spacesuits. <laughs> yeah. Um anyway, so this movie had a budget of two point five million and it grossed twelve point three million. I'm always a little surprised it seems low, like for how long this franchise That's has been around. Six times the amount that it costs to make. That's huge. It just seems a little low. Um and this movie stars are our chimp man Roddy McDowell as Cornelius he has returned he has he's back in a big way um we also get Kim Hunter playing Zira again mm-hmm. Bradford Dillman playing Dr. Dixon Natalie Trundy who was one of the telepathic ladies playing Dr. Branton yeah he's Eric, a good person in this one yeah Eric Braden as Dr. Hasselin the bad guy and Ricardo Montalban as Armando, the circus dude. Correct. That's a weird, yeah. <laughs> That's a weird, yeah. <laughs> Very strange. He's a circus owner. He's like Barnum and Bailey, but has a good heart. Unlike Barnum <laughs> yeah. and Bailey. <laughs> and P.T. <Bailey>. Barnum. <laughs> and whoever Bailey. Um. So, what are your overall thoughts of the movie? I enjoyed this one quite a bit, actually. Um, it's a little wacky. It is. It goes into a totally different uh, genre <laughs> well, it's from funny. the other ones. Yeah, tonally, it's kind of all over the place because it is, in a lot of parts, it's very like kind of mo- almost like a comedy. Like it's like a, a fish out of water comedy. Yeah. And like, you know, the apes, once once like it comes out that they can talk and from the, from the future and blah, 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 it becomes this weird like uh, split between like most of the people in America or on Earth or whatever, um, find they're like celebrities. And like Zira is like talking about like women's rights and like, <laughs> you know, they're they're like very... Well, women know, can't have rights. Come yeah, she's on, like, Zira. It's always the woman who makes the bed. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's like that. And then alternately, there's like, you know, the mil- there's like the military scientist guy who's like, uh, they literally just told us that their kind is going to take over the planet and then yeah. the planet is going to be destroyed. Are we not going to do anything about this? So I actually think he's probably arguably the one of the best villains of the franchise too. Yeah, because his intentions make sense. Yeah, I mean, he's the way to he wants to go about the it end is, of the human race. is certainly bad, but yeah. he's like, li- we literally have evidence here that like, not only is this going to destroy humans, but eventually it's going to destroy the entire planet. Yes. Like what they're saying is going to happen. And I think we're letting it happen. I, for one, embrace our ape overlords. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just really go with the Simpsons stuff on this yeah. one. I really like it. Um, yeah, I wasn't, I didn't really know what to expect 
with this one because the poster is kind of funny. I like it. It has like a little family portrait. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all about the baby, little baby Milo. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, this, I mean, with any great comedy, you get great montages of them like fitting into a society and like being the talk of the town, except it's only really like one town. They don't branch out beyond there. LA. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then, yeah, but apart from the comedy stuff, it does have a very dark ending, which I don't know if we want to dive into the ending yet. You will get, we'll get to it. I think. Yeah. Um, also the president in this is way too level headed. It really makes humans look too good. Not just the president, <laughs> but all of the politicians, but especially the president. Yeah. He's very like, you know, you know, he's he's actually smart and thoughtful. And he's like, uh, we're not going to try somebody without knowing if they're really guilty or innocent or whatever. Yeah, I can't remember Proving exactly guilty. what it is. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. All the politicians, aside from the villain guy, uh, yeah. is very like level headed and uh, calm and thoughtful, which is you know, it's obviously weird. science fiction. <laughs> um. I guess, I mean, this seems like the only way they could continue the franchise, too. <laughs> well, I mean, because like they blew up the plan the last one, so it's like, what the can we planet do? Is literally gone. Time travel. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go back <laughs> to the beginning of the Planet of the Apes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So the way that this sequel came to exist uh, said the trivia said um, that. With Beneath the Planet of the Apes doing well at the box office, the producer, Arthur P. Jacobs, sent a telegram to writer Paul Den four months after the film's release, which simply said, Apes exist, sequel required. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that's what happened with the last one. Yeah, see, this is such an odd franchise because it seems like with each one, they're like, okay, I guess one more. And then it does like bananas at the box office, no pun intended. (laughs) And um, so then they're like, all right. We're doing another one, but we're not going to spend much money on it. Yeah. You know, it's it's a weird thing. Um, So let's talk about sort of the, I guess production design is a little lacking because it's just normal 70s Earth stuff minus yeah. like the spaceship intro. But I kind of like that. Like this one is the, all except for the first, the first two movies have very similar production design because they both take place yeah. in the same like, time period and part of the planet mostly except for the underground stuff and beneath um this one's very like present day of when the movie came out even Mm -hmm. though it's supposed like i don't know we'll talk about it later but the timeline's all screwy it's supposed to be much later than 1970s (laughs) um but yeah everything's very 70s yeah lots of velvet and wood paneling the apes probably spend a lot of time in conversation pits yes definitely madman style Uh Bad apes. What if Zira came in and was singing? Uh, what was that song from Adam that the his girl or wife sings? <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> whatever it is. Um, voulez, voulez, voulez. <laughs> uh, we also get. Oh, dang, I lost my train of thought. Oh, I was gonna say there's only three apes with makeup. That's true. In this one, actually, well, sort of. There's also that terrible gorilla that's obviously a man in a costume. That's but that's really just so bad. they can hold the chimp up to the camera. Yeah. It's not even supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, we're like, that's just a man in a suit. Yeah. Unlike these men wearing ape 
mask. Yeah. <laughs> Very cu- well, this one's supposed to be like a regular gorilla, not like a yeah. gorilla. <laughs> and there is a finally a real chimpanzee, little baby chimpanzee is real. Yes. We get a real chimpanzee, people. Finally. Yes, yes, yes. Quiet down over there. <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess they I feel like the makeup was really, really good in this one because they only yeah. had to do it for three people yeah <laughs> unlike and, and, the others where it goes down one of them is done after the first like 15 minutes of the movie which there was some trivia about the guy that played milo he was going to be in the movie for much longer but then uh he like couldn't stand being in the makeup and had like severe claustrophobia that's weird yeah. well let's talk about some of the performances so his name uh he's not milo yeah he is that's the key Oh. He's named after the one in the beginning. So, yeah, he doesn't really get a lot of time to shine. He's fine. He's very um, hesitant like Cornelius. But we get Roddy McDowell back as Cornelius, Mm -hmm. which, I mean, does this franchise work without him? I don't know. I say no. (laughs) Harper says no. (laughs) I mean, he's clearly the face of the franchise. Yeah, he is. Um, And then Kim Hunter is still playing her normal Dr. Zira self. Yeah. So she's fine. Um, They make her a little, a little um, alcoholic in this (laughs) one. Kind of. She's like, where's that grape juice plus? Give me more. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of who else. We already mentioned the president is like way too level-headed. It's weird. Is there anybody else that stood out? Uh, what do you feel about their scientist friends? They're fine. They're pretty generic. I'd they say. are. And I hate that they make Natalie Trundy. Like she faints at some point. She's like, oh, it's like she's a lady scientist. Come on. Yeah. I think she's seen stuff. She it can is, handle this. It is weird that like <laughs> two thirds of the cast, the characters are doctors. Dr. Zero, Dr. Dixon, Dr. Branton, Dr. Hasline. <laughs> it's a lot, a lot of doctors. Um, well, any other part? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's all this, all this ape dander in here. Gross. <laughs> Lawgiver. <laughs> no, get, up, get back <laughs> in your cage, Lawgiver. <laughs> Um, so I don't really remember the music for this. Neither do I. But Jerry Goldsmith came back as the composer. <laughs> yeah, I think this is the only other one he was the composer for. Yeah. But yeah, honestly, I don't recall the music in particular for this one. I don't either. Um, so tell me some miscellaneous trivia. Oh, I got one piece. Yes. Um, and it's about a line. It's not one of our favorite lines, is it? No. Okay. Um, because I keep ruining that. Uh, so Zira, so at the beginning of the movie, they're all trying not to speak in front of the humans because they don't want to like play their cards all yeah. right away or whatever. And they keep like testing the apes out and they they like hold, hang a banana from the ceiling. And like, so she has to like create like a stairway to get to it or whatever. And they're like, why isn't she eating the bananas? And she says, because I loathe bananas. <laughs> and they're like... Oh my God! She can talk. She can talk. <laughs> um, so that line, though, is a reference to Kim Hunter's real distaste for this fruit, which originated during the filming of the first Planet of the Apes. 
Um, the actors portraying the apes are required to keep their makeup on during breaks in order to save time. So the rest of the crew often called them monkeys and offered them bananas. That seemed very awful and yeah. like harassment. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like the, all the whole filming of the first movie sounds like incredibly awful. Yeah, it was like a gazillion degrees. They couldn't take their makeup off. It's like yeah, it sounds terrible. Yeah, but yeah, that's the only miscellaneous piece of trivia I had. All right. Well, I wanted to also talk about in the story the um. Do you think if apes came down in a spaceship and landed in Atlanta, this is a realistic approach to how we would deal no. with that? No, <laughs> this is a very optimistic. I mean, until the ending, it's yeah. a very optimistic look at what would happen. Because in the story, they're like shocked and then they observe them and then they have like a trial, they interview, interview them, them have a trial us, yeah. and then they end up interrogating them. Uh, in real life, they would be hidden at Area 51 and we'd never know about it and they'd be vivisected live. <laughs> Just like mammalians. Unquestionably. <laughs> well, that's a little depressing. But it's true, isn't it? There's no way. They would just let these apes run around like being having their pictures taken for fashion There was magazines. that weird Jurassic era fly running around Walmart. Walmart. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Who knows? Thanks, NPR. Or we'd just be like, we'd probably think it's Bigfoot. Bigfoot is real. Yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah, if a, well, a like, five-foot-six chimpanzee came walking through our door, I'd think it's Bigfoot. It's <laughs> true. Maybe that is what, what we think Bigfoot is. That Bigfoot museum, that butt print, that's yeah. really an ape print. It is. See, this is what ties it back. Mm -hmm. This is going to be, like, first evidence that the law of giver is going to talk about. I think we need to get the uh, get that lady who runs the... Cherry Log Bigfoot Museum on the show. <laughs> Get her take on that. Yeah. Are you a fan of Planet of the Apes? Yes or no? Probably not. She's like, I only watched Legend of Boggy Creek yeah. <laughs> over and over again. Um, well, I guess we should talk about the dark ending yeah, before we jump story. into our favorite stuff. Uh, so it gets dark because Zira and Cornelius have a little baby and the baby can talk, and like this is the start. Well, it doesn't talk yet. Well, it will be able to talk. Yeah. And there, that one dude is freaking out. He's like, Dr. "No, Haslin. this is how it begins." And so they have to go on the run. Yeah, they go on the run basically because they drug. They give Zira, um, what is it, sodium pentothal, something like that, like truth serum, and she basically admits that in her timeline they were like you know, dissecting humans and experimenting on them and stuff. I mean, a little awkward. Which is evidence <laughs> that guy uses is like to convince the politicians that like we need to, yeah. uh, he doesn't say we, they should kill them at first. He said they should keep them from having the baby. They sterilize should sterilize them. them. Yeah. Some very <laughs> eugenics kind of stuff going on. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they go on the run and then the military is chasing them. They eventually give the baby to, to Armando. Well, we don't know that until the end, but yeah, they go, they meet this circus, they hide out in the circus with a, these other like performing apes. Yeah. And then they end up on the run and they hide, they're hiding on this like abandoned air, uh, aircraft carrier or some kind of battleship or something. It's a big ship. And then uh, they both die. Yep. And you think the baby also dies. She like drops it overboard when she, when Zira dies. Yes. But then it turns out that that was, they had swapped the baby. Which I don't know if you even know until the next no, movie. No, you don't. Well, no, you do. It's the very end of this movie. Ends with. Does he go, no? No, there's a little baby <laughs> baby monk behind bars who goes, mama. Oh, yeah, mama. I forgot. 
<laughs> That's not creepy at yeah. all. Which incidentally is my favorite scene. <laughs> oh, sorry. Going, mama. That's okay. Um, but yeah, so like the previous two movies, super dark, shocking ending. Yeah. And it's weird because I love that this movie really plays with the time travel aspect of the franchise more than the others do. But I also, the whole time I'm like, oh, this is going to be awesome because it's going to be classic time travel story where the fact that the humans like try to sterilize them and, and try to kill them is literally what's going to cause like the ape uprising eventually, like the yeah. them knowing, which like you could maybe make that argument, but it's not entirely clear. Like basically they just die and the baby exists. Like them traveling back in time doesn't set up what what their future is, which you kind of expect from like a traditional sci-fi um, time travel movie. It's more like, oh, it's just a new timeline. Yeah. And we're wondering if the same thing's going to happen this time around or not. Yeah. I don't think I have anything. Uh, you said it all, Harper. Sorry. You did it. I'm no, blind. it's okay. But let's dive into our favorite stuff. So you kind of already said your favorite scene. Mama. <laughs> Mama. <laughs> Well, because it's like a real chimp baby and they just make it sort of vaguely look like he's saying yeah. mama. He's like just l- like peanut credit, butter. over the credits, he's like, mama. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like babe, basically. Yeah. So my favorite scenes were mostly just the, I couldn't decide between the like makeover montage because it's so ridiculous it and she's having like the time of her 70s life. Um, or the, I think I like the trial scene mm-hmm. a lot because they're sassy. And they're winning over the hearts of America. It's true, yeah. <laughs> when they're like, can the male ape talk? And he's like, only when she lets me. Yeah, like basically. Ball and chain. Ow, <laughs> yeah. Human ma- males and ape males, we all know the score, <laughs> right? Am I right, ape guys? Oh, my God. <laughs> um, And then... Happy ape wife, happy ape oh wife. <laughs> but that's basically what happens. Yeah. Except there's a part where she's like, uh, we dissect, I, I mean, mean, examine, examine yeah. humans. <laughs> <laughs> um, which was funny. And you get to, I mean, they don't really explain why they were on uh charlton heston's spaceship no they do or... they said that like yeah it's a little ridiculous like we happen uh, to be off the planet when ret- it exploded <laughs> well yeah they're like uh we were because the gorillas were going to war uh milo had been trying to fix up the spaceship and we figured something bad was gonna happen yeah. so we were we, we took off and oh, oh no from our window we discovered that but it's like the spaceship is not a time machine. It's it, not. Did they, they just I think they to mentioned the something. Same, maybe like, the wormhole or yeah. whatever. Yeah, it's it's, it's like a, a wormhole or like the bomb did something. They definitely just sort of you know <laughs> like kind of brushed on the rug or yeah. lampshaded or whatever. Like, which is fine. I mean, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> All the, right. the timeline is not the strongest part of this no. uh, franchise, <laughs> at least the, the original franchise. So, what's your favorite ape moment? Favorite ape moment. All right, so I'm going to say when Cornelius is explaining how the apes took over, because I thought that was really cool. And you're finally like, okay, now we finally understand what happened. And what does he say? He says, (laughs) they became alert to the concept of slavery as their numbers grew to... Wait, hold on. Uh, Sorry. So I skipped a part. I guess I didn't copy and paste the whole thing. (laughs) Basically, he says that there's like a... um, there's a disease, a plague that affects all the dogs. I don't, and cats. Did you say dogs and cats? They eventually add cats. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> dogs and cats. 
And so basically all of humanity's pets all die off, except for all those lucky people with ferrets and fish, I guess. Um, And and snakes and rats. and so they are like, oh, we should have apes for uh, pets. Yeah. Um, and and they basically, they then start making the ape because they're like, oh, wow, the apes are way smarter than like a dog or cat. We can have them do stuff mm-hmm. like, you know, get our food for us or, you know, whatever. And so uh, then uh, Cornelius says, they became alert to the concept of slavery. And as their numbers grew to slavery's antidote, which of course is unity. At first, they began assembling in small groups. They learned the art of corporate and military action. They learned to refuse. At first, they just grunted their refusal. But then on an historic day, which is commemorated by my species and fully documented in the sacred scrolls, don't say a word, lawgiver. Uh, (laughs) There came Aldo. He did not grunt. He articulated. He spoke a word which had been spoken to him time without number by humans. He said, no. 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 Yeah, like Andy Circus's no. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, it's kind of cool because then you're like, okay, that's still weird, but I get it. Like, okay, that's how maybe this happened. Because in the original yeah. two movies, they're just like, oh, nuclear war happened and then apes evolved <laughs> into like the dominant species. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is like a little bit more um, nuanced, you know, so it's kind of, it's interesting for yeah. sure. Yours is way more interesting. I just like when Zira gets hammered <laughs> <laughs> because drinking wine is, is is encouraged through stressful times, especially during pregnancy. Which now, <laughs> looking back, I'm like, is that... I thought that was just like a 70s thing, but it might be the doctor like trying to take advantage of her and have her pregnancy not go well. No, I think he, he was on her side. At that point? Yeah. It's not. He's the, not the evil oh, one. Oh, it's the good doctor. Yeah, like, oh, he's wow. like, no, drink up, Boy. and she's like, I need more grape. Up. Grape plus. <laughs> grape juice plus. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like sloppy drunk. Yeah, she is. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's my favorite ape moment. <laughs> Hammered apes. So, what is your favorite line? He can talk. He can talk. He can talk. He can. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so mine's another, it's like a, it's a conversation. So E1, who I think is just one of the like military guys says, don't worry, we'll catch them sooner or later. And then Dr. Hasline says, that's what I'm worried about later. Later, we'll do something about pollution. Later, we'll do something about the population explosion. Later, we'll do something about (laughs) nuclear war. We think we've got all the time in the world, but how much time has the world got? Somebody has to begin to care. Which to and me is then like, he breaks out into. I hate every ape I see from chimpanzee to chimpanzee. Basically, but um, yeah, I mean, no, your it, villain has to hate apes. It's a classic uh, villain speech because it's like partially true, right? It's like, yeah, uh, he makes some good points, but he's going about it in a real yeah. bad way. Can't we all just get along? Yeah, so I like that. I like that line. So let's see my favorite lines. I have two, but I don't remember who says this. I assume it's Cornelius. He says, I do know this. One of the reasons for man's original downfall was your peculiar habit of murdering one another. Man destroys man. Apes do not destroy apes. Uh Uh-oh, I wasn't ready. Ape shall not kill ape. Yes, it's true. Also, like, we are peaceful creatures. We are happy to be here. May we be unchained. That's what Harley says every day. We say, no, no. (laughs) We took her collar off. (laughs) That's true. A long time ago. She's been nude for a long time. Little little nudist cat. (laughs) Good lines. Good lines. 
Yeah, the lines are always either like something short and funny or like a paragraph of man's inner turmoil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's me. <laughs> um, so any other thoughts before we discuss what we think it does better than the others? Uh, I think this one is the most fun one. Is that your reason for why it's better? No, I'm just saying. I like that about it. Um, It's definitely the most unique in the entire franchise because it's it's different. Yeah, I like it's one thing that I think is cool about the franchise that you start to notice here in this one is that like aside from the first two, which are pretty similar in most ways, um, uh, this one is very different from Conquest, which is very different from Battle. Like they're all all of them yeah. except for the first two are really different in terms of setting and uh time period and um kind of approach and what like social thing they're trying to kind of comment on. And yeah, yeah. so it's this is where the franchise in some ways kind of takes off. In some ways it starts to make problems for itself. It's also interesting because like for Charlton Heston's character to land on a planet of the apes, he's like thrown into this kind of nightmarish world. But when they're thrown into this world, it's funny. <laughs> that is true. It's when in reality, it would probably be the opposite. Yeah. It's like, you know, <laughs> the humans are really the, who's the real apes, as yeah. we often say. <laughs> um, so what do you think it does better than the others? I think to me, it starts to kind of, actually explore like the timeline and uh, of like what happened and how the apes took over and blah, blah, blah. And it also more than any of the other movies really plays with the time travel rather than just using it as like, okay, this is like the basic setup. Like this is how he got here is time travel. But um, this is the one first one that it's like, Oh, that's like an essential part of the story. Yeah. For me, I think this one does a complete reversal of the first movie and it's probably the most comedic and, I do question the timeline. Yeah. I don't I think it sets up a new timeline from the first two, oh, but we'll yeah. talk about it in the last movie more. Yeah. This that's one thing with this franchise we'll get into more and more as we go along is that like they continually do these really aggravating things where you're like, you're this close to making it all match up, but they yeah. make, like in this one, him saying it was Aldo. Yeah. And and naming the kid Milo, and then in the next movie, both those names are different. Yeah, and it's like, why? Why would? You, why do? Why would you do that? You're so. It, it's You're like so close. Yeah, it's like to me the th- infuriating thing with like Prometheus, where the planet that Prometheus takes place on is not the same planet that a. It's not LV four two six. Yeah. It's like, why would you do that? Why? You're so. It's right there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that sort of drives me crazy. This they they did. So continuity among the franchise was not a concern, clearly. Nope. <laughs> Which brings us to the next movie. So Lawgiver's probably going to show up again, y'all. Oh, I'm boy. sorry. So Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, which came out in 1972. Now, the biggest, the newest, the most exciting of all the Planet of the Apes pictures. Climaxed by the spectacular revolt of the apes. The most awesome, the most horrifying spectacle in the annals of science fiction. First pampered as pets, then abused as servants, now oppressed as slaves.
full mobilization of all security forces, police, militia, and reserve defense units. See that every entrance into the city is cordoned off immediately. Yes, sir. Our control methods to improve the use of tear gas and sedation darts. There will be but one control method. Shoot to cure. Ready? the screen explode as man faces ape in the ultimate revolution. Where there is fire, there is smoke. And in that smoke, from this day forward, my people will plot and plan for the inevitable day of man's downfall. And that day is upon you now! <laughs> So this film tagline, the newest and biggest yet. Is it? No, <laughs> it's not. It's directed by... It might have more apes than any of the other ones, but... Yeah. Directed by J. Lee Thompson, who did the original Cape Fear. That's cool. And also written by Paul Den again. That is shocking, because that's a good movie. <laughs> yeah. We're going to... We'll dive into that. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so Lawgiver, what's this movie about? <laughs> 72nd Scroll, Chapter 4. And a great plague spread across the land. An ape was made the servant of man. The darkest days came upon the race of apes, and the son of Cornelius rose up and slew his human masters. And it was good. Oh, and it was good. <laughs> But the movie was not good. I get back in your cage. <laughs> Do. <laughs> I wish Harley would understand those commands. Yeah, we tell her. Harley, do. Harley, do. We tell her do. do all the time. She never does anything. No. Nope. Sits there. So this film stars. Let's say it. Where is it? Oh, man. Roddy McDowell. Big surprise. <laughs> Duh. Yeah, basically. Um. We have Don Murray as Breck, who is over-the-top villain and all about... I hate every ape button. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> we'll get to that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Harry Rhodes as McDonald. Natalie Trundy as Lisa, the Lisa. sexy chimp. <laughs> no, yeah. yeah, she's like a, she's she's like a red Caesar's light She's love district. interest. Chimp. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and Severn Darden as Colt. Could that guy be anything but a bad guy with a name Severn like that? Severn Darden. Yeah. And what type of name is Colt? Yeah. <laughs> so this movie had a budget of 1.7 million, box mm. office 9.7 million. Boy, and that budget shows, don't it? I think this is the lowest it is, budget. By, by quite a bit. Of the entire franchise. So, overall thoughts on this story <sighs> well it means well <laughs> i mean yeah i guess i should sum up what the lawgiver said but yeah. basically this takes place in 1991 
<laughs> Futuristic that... year of 1991. Wait, really? Yes. That's so weird. <laughs> um, and... It's all full-on ape slavery, so there's, like, chimpanzee servants, only, like, a couple orangutans, uh, and gorillas all doing the brunt manual labor, whatever, for this society. Um, And no longer called Milo. (laughs) Baby Milo is now Caesar, which I think I wrote as a trivia that is definitely just a mistake. (laughs) Well, and it's especially weird because... There's even a scene where he get, he tells them what his name is, and like yeah. that could be when he renamed himself Caesar, but they haven't been named exactly. Caesar the so it's yeah, like, you do that. It's a previous film. It's their son Milo, and now it's Caesar for no real apparent reason. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's although also, I don't know what year Escape is supposed to take place, but how old is this chimp? He's in his twenties. I mean, <laughs> Roddy McDowell is twenty. <laughs> I don't know how how, how long do chimpanzees live. Let's see. I'm actually not sure about that. Because uh, he's still alive in the but next But yeah, it's one. 20 years after hiding from authorities. And for some reason... Okay, this... I guess they can live up to like 32 years. Yeah. So for some reason, the circus dude is like, I'm going to bring you with me to the ape uh, slave <laughs> city. Well, I can't remember. pass out flyers. I feel like, like what? I feel like their plan all along is for him to like get integrated into the into the apes so that he can like start Maybe, but I don't see why the circus dude cares at all. Well, because he's a good guy. I guess. Anyway, so they form a revolution civil rights revolution uh, themes throughout. Yeah, this is definitely one where it's trying really hard to do a civil rights thing, which is interesting, but problematic. For yeah. Because sure. it's so, like, cool, like, let's do a movie where we kind of show how, like, you know, uh, you know, people were mistreated and how they can rise up. But we're also going to compare, like, uh, black folks to monkeys. <laughs> That's not Yeah, great. not good. Yeah, writer Paul Den, uh it was a simian take on the American civil rights movement of the time, although Den was English and <laughs> brought an astute so, sensibility to the project. You know, like, <laughs> I always think it's weird, but then, I mean, you look at like, I mean, Candyman was written by a British True. guy. All of the elements about it, about it becoming a racial thing are all from him, <laughs> some English yeah. dude. So, so thematically it's like okay this could be interesting but yes there's too many things goes wrong and it's just very kind of boring it's really boring yeah it drags a lot throughout the story and it's hard to like i don't know if it's the editing or something i will say that i read that this was the only movie not rated g in the franchise and it was originally going to be a lot more violent but they were worried about getting an r rating so they ended up cutting a ton of stuff and kind of meshing things and reshooting certain stuff except that we watched the version that had that stuff reinstated yeah it's still only pg yeah um but yeah, it's more about the police brutality side of it and yeah. kind of slave uh, master relationships and beating your your property. This one feels very much like they're trying. I mean, I guess this gets into production design a little bit, but like there, it feels like they're trying to do almost like a um, what's the word I'm looking for? Almost like Westworld or um, man, what's the movie I'm thinking of? Planet Another, of the Apes. No. Another one of those like <laughs> 70s sci-fi movies. Man, what am I thinking of? That's, what is it about? 
I, I don't know. I, I totally <laughs> you don't know? Have, I totally have blanked. <laughs> I mean, I'm just thinking about like the design of it, like the, that futuristic look. Oh, uh, THX kind of oh, like it's yeah. all like not that futuristic, but like kind of verging. It's on trying that a to be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the other problem with this movie is that the um, it's hard to believe in 20 years that this would happen so quickly. Which is another huge weirdness about the timeline in these movies. They jump. They jump like huge, make these huge steps ahead in like five or 10 years. Yeah. Like literally we're supposed to think in 20, in the time that between Caesar slash Milo being born <laughs> and growing up that apes have somehow gotten like, uh, they all walk upright and, and are like all human they slaves. They can carry stuff and understand directions. <laughs> yeah. There's like a whole society built around it. And like, uh, yeah, it's just sort of ridiculous. Yeah. It is. So overall, we did not really like this one, no, this which is, is unfortunate. My least favorite. I will say, I'm trying. To, I think the it has a stronger ending for how bad the movie is. I so agree. the ending is the more enjoyable part. I agree. We'll talk about our favorite scenes yeah. uh, for sure because I think we both have essentially the same one. Yeah, but the other problem with this movie is how boring the production design is because. Yeah. Most of this was filmed in, where was it? The University of California Irvine, uh, Irvine campus. campus. And it was designed by futuristic architect William L. Pereira. And was um, it was only six years old at the time of the filming. So it felt very like futuristic. This is what all society will look like in the year 2000. Um, and so they just really focused on this campus for the entire movie. So you only get different angles of the same bridge like it's the a good same building it's a good setting for like a kind of futuristic looking place but yeah they really just reuse the same places way too much it gets really yeah boring. i agree and they tried to like use different camera angles or like oh it's at night now it's totally different from the day yeah. it's like it's not working so yeah that was a little disappointing but i guess because with their tiny budget it's like whatever um you also get probably the most apes it's a lot of we've seen because, but that also means the worst makeup we've seen. For sure. Because it's like hundreds of different types of apes, and it's mostly just masks, I think, right? Yeah, most, There's no like all actual. Except for like the main two. Yeah. I think. Um, and then also some little trivia to save money. <laughs> there is, I'm not going to read all of it, but basically they cobbled together tons of different things to fill out the costumes for this. So all of the apes are wearing, um, uh, jumpsuits. jumpsuits from the TV series Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. Uh, some of the like government military stuff was taken from the time tunnel show <laughs> uh and then yeah it's just all reusing all these different other tv shows costumes <laughs> and they reuse so governor breck uh ape auction throne scene was first used in taylor's spaceship in the planet of the apes and yeah so a lot of just reusing of stuff. So it doesn't feel very original. They rely too much on the university setting and it doesn't really work now. I agree. This one is the one that most feels like, oh, we mentioned this in the previous movie. They basically just flesh out like the three sentences I read from the last movie into like a whole movie. So you know exactly what's going to happen the whole time too, which doesn't help. Yeah. But it also, um, yeah, this is the one with the least surprising ending, even though the ending is the best part of the movie by far. Yeah. 
Um, because this one actually has some gore. Yeah, it's probably the bloodiest one. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about some of the performances. So shout out to hey, Zelda, the female orangutan, who is the only female ape in any Planet of the Apes or movie or TV shows who is not a chimpanzee. Do not remember her at all. She's the hairdresser. And she's like, Zelda, no. Oh, yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. <laughs> Zelda, no. <laughs> do, Zelda, do. <laughs> oh, boy. So good for you, Zelda, getting that extra screen time. Get it, girl. <laughs> uh, Roddy McDowell basically plays in the same same character, no matter what his character's name yeah, is. I mean, he just plays the same thing. Place, but it's essentially the same. Um, who else is in this that we like? Crickets. You hear the crickets in the background you here? You like Lisa? The no, she doesn't do anything. The Luxemus like no, chimp. She's like Nova <laughs> in the first movie. She, she is. She can't talk. Uh, and the, the bad guy in this movie, what was his name? Breck. Breck. It's got to be the worst villain in the whole franchise. He's he so plays ridiculous. this so over the top. It's insane. I don't yeah. even remember what his problem is. No, he's just like he's just like generic bad guy. We do get Harry Rhodes, though, playing McDonald, who's kind of like the voice of reason. And like, no, apes are like, we should be treating them equal and stuff. And But yeah, he's, he's also like, working for the government. So it's like, what's his yeah, angle? Him and Armando are like the only humans who are like sympathetic with yeah. the apes. Um, and ends up helping them escape the planet of the apes. <laughs> yeah. So, in the previous film, Escape from the Planet of the Apes, Zero and Cornelius, Nathanson, Milo. Oh, I yeah, already, already read, read this that. one. Sorry. <laughs> also, the score for this movie is by Tom Scott. He did lots of movies I've never heard of. Hmm. It's very tell riveting. Tell me more. Tell me more. <laughs> um, so, one more piece of trivia. The movie originally ended with Caesar's yell of, That day is upon you now! And the apes beating Governor Breck to death. Spoiler despite Mr. McDonald's plea. Poor testing resulted in the addition of Lisa yelling no, which was followed by repeated footage of Caesar's speech with added dialogue dubbed in by Roddy McDowell to give the film a more hopeful tone by making Caesar sympathetic and not a mass murderer. Lame. Yeah, I was all for like, yeah, murder them all. Yeah, <laughs> that would have been way it. more interesting. Go for it. <laughs> Just do it. <laughs> You're being very quiet about this movie. There's nothing Why? I say because it's not good. <laughs> I didn't like it. All well, right. I, also, because the only thing I want to talk about is the, our favorite scene. Well, let's do it. Ending. Sorry. What's your favorite scene? The ending. Yeah. The end. <laughs> um, no, the revolution, the whole like last 15 minutes is pretty cool. It's pretty well done, even though it's the same sets we've seen again and again. Yeah. But it's like all the apes like ambushing all the cops. It feels very like... LA 91 kind of like riots, yeah. even though this is obviously way before that it's feels, or I guess it's not that it would be the Watts riot at this point. Had that happened yet? I'm not sure, but, um, it feels very reminiscent of those real life events. Um, mm -hmm. so that it actually has some like good thematic power to it. Um, and then just the very ending, the last shot is great. It's like Caesar looking all angry with like fire behind him, like the buildings on fire. And yeah. Yeah. And you're like, wow. Like the ending is just very like, Bold. It reminds me of some of my favorite movie endings where you're just like, you know, everything's burned to the ground and then cut to black. Um, it's a it's a yeah. cool ending, even if the rest of the movie is kind of awful. Yeah, I agree. The revolution part is great because all the apes sort of lose it. And they're like, they want their revenge and they're going to do whatever they can to ex like get out of this situation. Um, it's just... 
I guess it's weird going from this one to the next one, though. Yep. Because I still don't know how it works out. Well, yeah. But the yeah. jump between movies is always, in this it's, whole franchise, yeah. is always weird. Always. But yeah, the whole ending is... I <laughs> just have to throw it in. Yeah. Spice up this movie a little bit. <laughs> I'm cool with that. So what was your favorite ape moment? Uh, I liked when they're like, they're like shocking Caesar as either as punishment or interrogation. I, can't I forgot remember. about that scene. That yeah. was interesting. And then the McDonald guy like cut the power to the table mm-hmm. and Caesar's smart enough to realize that even though he's not being electrocuted, he should pretend he's being electrocuted. So yeah. basically he fakes dying and that's how he escapes. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. And then I wrote when Lisa says no. But I actually don't remember what the scene was when it provoked her to say no. I don't either. <laughs> That's sad. Whoops. <laughs> well, it was impactful when how, I wrote this How note. mean do you think we'd have to be to Harley for her to talk? Aww, her to say no. I don't want to know. <laughs> no. Actually, she says sad. it all the time. No. I want to give her too many kisses. No. <laughs> yeah. or when she doesn't like my little songs when I sing her. she can't find us. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry she hasn't come down yet. She's asleep in a cube. <laughs> She's an old lady. So, favorite line. I'm going to do mine because it's really dumb. Yeah, what do you know? Mine's way long and yours is really short. So, mine's just the comedic moment where I was like, ha! Just one ha. <laughs> so, there's this random woman who's smoking a cigarette and she says, funny, now that I know these things won't kill me, I don't enjoy them. <laughs> do you think that's just supposed to be like, oh, it's the future. We've made cigarettes that are good for you. It must be. It didn't come off that way, but that makes sense. (laughs) It's just a random line and I'm just like, what? Yeah, it is weird. But I do love all the like, Harley do, Harley do. And no, Harley no. (laughs) Which those two words become no-nos in the next movie. They are banned from society. uh, Slan Rachel, Ra- Rachel. Rachel. <laughs> Rachel-y charged. Rachel epithet. Epith- <laughs> <laughs> Hyper, wake up. I'm sorry, I'm losing it. <laughs> We're almost out of this one. We're so close. Yeah. What's your favorite line? <laughs> so it's basically at the end, and Caesar says, The king is dead. Long live the king. He's a much more like maniacal leader in this one he than is. he is in the next one. Yeah. Uh, tell me, Breck, before you die. <laughs> How do we differ from the dogs and cats that you and your kind used to love? Why did you turn us from pets into slaves? Uh, side note here, we forgot to mention there's like a statue of dogs and of dog oh, and a cat yeah, that's like cookies. to our long lost pets. <laughs> anyway. uh, and then Breck says, because your kind were once our ancestors, <laughs> because man was born of apes and there's still an ape curled up inside of every man. You're the beast in us and we have to whip into submission. <laughs> You're the savage we need to shackle in chains. You taint us, Caesar. You poison our guts. When we hate wait, when we hate you, we're hating the dark side of ourselves, which is like the closest thing he gets to being like an interesting villain. I mean, yeah, he's just spouting nonsense the entire movie. Yeah, but also What's once again, what's his motivation for this hatred? Once again, evolution is real, and apparently we knew that in 1972. Yes, or whenever this, yeah, 72. <laughs> um, so we might not have answers for this one, but what do you think it does better than the others? Uh, I said nothing. <laughs> it has a limited budget, zero film locations, bad makeup. This is a stinker. It's the stinkiest of all of them. Oh, for sure. I think this one, I will say it's ambitious in that it tries 
of all of them, this one tries the hardest to be have like a very specific and very uh, fleshed out social commentary about one particular thing. Yeah. Even though it doesn't do it very well necessarily. It, uh, and maybe with a tries. bigger budget, it would have. Yeah, where the other ones are just like, bombs are bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, like, you know, that kind of stuff. And or, I was trying to think if this one relates to any of the newer ones this closely. I don't think any of them really dive into, like, apes as slaves. No, because, yeah, the first one is like... Well, they might I'm, dive into, like, equal rights. A little bit. I don't even know. I mean, in the second one, it's like they're kind of living side by side, sort like in separate societies. Yeah. Which I guess is more like the next one. I don't know. I don't know either. Yeah. I don't feel like the new ones really take anything aside from like the idea that like Caesar is the first like intelligent ape. Like that's kind of the only major thing it takes. You mean Milo? (laughs) (sighs) I don't. I mean, Caesar's a better name. It is. Well, I think that wraps up Conquest for the Planet of the Apes. Mm-hmm. And we will never have to talk about this movie ever again. That is one big pilot. S-H-I-T. Yeah. I, it took me forever to find it. <laughs> I was wondering what was happening. <laughs> never again. So, next movie. Last movie of the franchise is Battle for the Planet of the Apes which came out in 1973. We want guns! Now, the final chapter in the incredible ape saga. There it is, our wars. This is the hell my forefathers used to speak about. This background radiation alone will give us 300 rentgens an hour. The battlefield... A dead city 12 years after the ultimate bomb has been dropped. The prize, the right to inherit what's left of the earth. The contestants, ape against man. The most unbelievable showdown ever filmed. As the mutants, strange transformed men who live underground like moles, battle the apes to decide who will be master and who will be slain. We who survive create a new race. In the aftermath of his victory, the surface of the world was ravaged by the vilest war in human history. Climaxing the epic series which made motion picture history comes the last, the most spectacular of all the ape adventures. Out of the forbidden city they roared to settle once and for all who had the right to rule the planet, ape or man.
This was directed. You didn't write the director. Oh, because it's not. Who's on the here. director? It's we made our template ah. based on <laughs> What is happening? I'll tell you. Two seconds. <coughs> Jay Lee Thompson, who also directed Wasn't that the last Conquest. Person? Yes. Okay. And what? Michelle, Ooh. how did you say he wrote, did, directed Cape Fear and you didn't say he directed Happy Birthday to Me? I didn't see it on the list. And Guns of the Navarone. I didn't see it. Well, I love Happy Birthday to Me. Cool. So it's also written by Paul Den again. Screenplay by John William Corrington, the Omega Man, Joyce Hop- Hooper Corrington. Wait. Hey, lady! Oh, it's like, what? Who also did The Omega Man and Boxcar Bertha. Which I think is Martin Scorsese's first movies, right? I have no idea. So, let's hear from the lawgiver, and he can tell us what this movie is about. Take it away. 73rd Scroll, Chapter 5. And lo, there came a day when all apes talked as in times foreseen and prophesied. And they made for themselves a paradise in the forest, until forced to war with humans and mutants. Thereupon they were driven to challenge the ultimate law. Ape shall never kill ape. ape you heard the man. Shall kill ape. ape shall kill ape. <laughs> ape shall not kill ape. You said it. Um, and Harper, you also didn't write down the budget of the box office, but oh boy. I looked it up. <laughs> I'm sorry. So it was a budget of $1.8 slightly more than the last one, and it grossed 8.8, so not Which is less. Good. Yeah. The, this is probably, what, the lowest ratio of budget to... Yeah. <clears throat> to uh, box office? Probably. It's not great. And is this little thing a tagline? Or a synopsis, because it's long. The thing in all caps? Ten years after. Oh, that's the synopsis. It's not that long. No, under that. <sighs> Where are you talking about? Ten years after a worldwide... Yeah, that's just the synopsis. Oh, why are they separate? Because one's a tagline. Which one's the tagline? The one in all caps. The final <laughs> chapter in the incredible... Did you already read that? No. Ape Saga. The most suspenseful showdown ever filmed as two civilizations battle for the right to inherit what's left of the earth. What is left of the earth? Not much. No. Some trees and some weird people. Mm-hmm. Speaking of weird people, this stars, you guessed it, Roddy McDowell as Caesar. <laughs> Claude Atkins as Aldo. Natalie Trundy as Lisa. Severin Darden as Culp. Culp. Paul Williams as Virgil, who is the new. Dr. Sayers, Dr. Sayers. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Dr. Virgil. Dr. Virgil, Dr. Virgil. <laughs> um, we also have Austin Stoker playing McDonald, who is the brother of the last McDonald. <laughs> I have trivia about that shortly. Austin Stoker from Assault on Precinct 13. Yes, we love him. Um, and also John Houston as. Our good friend, the lawgiver. Law Very odd. What a what a strange <laughs> cameo for him to be. John Houston's such a like high class, highbrow director writer. You know what else Very, has he been in? Well, probably you'd most famously recognize him from 
uh, Chinatown. He's the dad, the father in Chinatown. Would I? Um, Probably. I mean, he's the villain. Spoiler. And the treasure of the Sierra Madre. Yeah, is a director. He's a very, very famous. Also, his daughter is Angelica Houston. That Angelica Houston. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we yeah, love her. Yeah, so it's interesting. Yeah, he's only in the movie for probably like a grand total of like a minute and a half. It's, yeah. it's just the very beginning and the very end. He's telling the story, wraparound story. Um. So this movie takes place 10 years after the last one. Give me a break. Which I don't believe in. A brutal nuclear war, can't, ape revolutions, blah, blah, blah. So Caesar and his clan are like all out in the woods now and humans are in the remnants of the city that was bombed. And they're getting mutated, but not telepathic yet. No, they're not. Super mutants. They're and just regular mutants. We get more drama with from the gorillas in this one. They are out of control. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all about battling for somebody's civilization. Who's going to win? The peaceful chimps, the gorilla warfare, or the, the Mad Max like humanoids. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> it's definitely some Mad Max ish yeah. stuff here. So what are your overall thoughts? Um, I like this one uh, a good bit, actually. I think it's a big step up from Conquest. Um, Largely, I think, because in the last movie, most of the characters are like these just total caricatures. They're not like real people in any way, shape, or form. And in this one, there's new characters. I mean, Cornelius is always pretty interesting, but they introduce three new characters that are all really good, I think. Virgil being like the new Dr. Zaius, who's like... Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Who's kind of comedic and like kind of like the nerdy who they're always like, can he's you put it in plain nerdy. English, Doc? Well, I'll try. But he's a pretty <laughs> interesting character. I like him. Aldo is the gorilla um, who's not like, I can't remember the name of the gorilla in Beneath, but who's basically just like war, 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 war this, war that. Yes. The gorilla in this is like, look, this human like said no to me. Like I should deserve like to, you know, these and punish him. And, and he's like, and humans are probably going to invade us and they do. And it's yeah. like, so he has like some reason to believe the way he does, but he's also doing it in a very, you know, uh, well, he does murder. Somebody. Yeah, he does. He, he commits <laughs> ape murder. Um, and I really like them going into the demolished city and, uh, and escaping from it. And the battle in the end is not bad. Like it's pretty well, I mean, it's pretty well done. Um, for how limited their budget is, it, yes, it works for sure. on like the last one. Definitely. Not definitely. like the last one. That's <laughs> what we need. We need a quote of uh, Jake Gyllenhaal Not saying like that. the last time, yeah. Um, <laughs> when we do franchises. <laughs> but again, like you said, this movie really takes the biggest leap, I think, of any of them of like, okay, 10 years have passed and every ape on the planet has learned how to talk and yeah. made its own society. Also, of which we only see like 20 apes living in this village. And it's like they're supposed to be like... The it new... represents the world. <laughs> they live odd, in tree but... huts. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, it, there's definitely a lot of like continuity that are like, for real, this would take like a million years. Yeah. <laughs> I do appreciate in this one that they kind of venture out beyond one filming location. Yes. Because you do get some variety between the ape world and the human world. Mm-hmm. A little in between. Yeah. A future forbidden zone, potentially. Yeah, I believe so. <laughs> um, and yeah, like you said, all the characters, there's a lot more unique apes that we get to hear and bond with and stuff like that. 
Yeah. And, and Cornelius, I mean, um, not Cornelius, but Caesar's son. Yeah. What was his name? Milo? <laughs> yeah. I think it I is. Don't know. Mi- I think is it is it? Milo. Yeah. Which is really confusing. <laughs> not confusing at all. <laughs> um, so. Oh, wait, no. He's just Cornelius too. <laughs> really? The second. <laughs> Right. Cornelius the second. <laughs> Corny for short. Little yeah, popcorn. Little popcorn. <laughs> um so do you think this timeline begins to match up with the first one? Does this make sense? Or is this a totally different timeline? It's definitely a different timeline. I think Because the ending is different. Well, they right? bring up that whole thing about like the time is like a highway and depends on like which yeah, which it lane seems you're like in they're, or whatever. I think what they're kind of going for in this one is like, okay, if we go in one direction, we are leading directly back to the first movie and, uh, which ends in the planet exploding by the second movie. Yeah. But if we go in a different direction where we like, you know, have like shared society with apes and humans, then like things could be better. Mm-hmm. Which this one ends with that. Right. Cause the lawgiver is teaching about ape and human children and the Caesar statue starts crying. <laughs> yes. Which is a little awkward. <laughs> um, and I actually had a piece of trivia about that. That at the end, originally, they were going to have a hybrid ape-human child as one of the kids, symbolizing the two species coexisting in peace. And they did a makeup test, which I would love to see. But the idea was removed due to the obvious implications of bestiality, <laughs> is what it said. <laughs> yeah, a little okay. bit. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Um... So what is this Mendez trivia? Is that for this movie? Yeah, it is. So uh, as I wouldn't have known this guy's name, but it was in the trivia and it's interesting. So at the very, the other thing that happens at the very end of the movie is that like the bad guy, what was his name? Um, Culp. Culp. <laughs> he tells them, the people who stay behind in the ruined city, like if, uh, if I don't come back, then you need to blow up this bomb, which is essentially the doomsday bomb yeah. from beneath the planet of the apes. And yeah, the the woman. Um, is, oh yeah, she's about to do it. Connect them. and then the other guy is like, "No, we should." Uh, this bomb has saved us, or mm-hmm. whatever. And so he's, and his name is Mendez, and apparently, <laughs> the name of the guy in Beneath the Planets is Mendez XXVI, like his descendant. Yeah. So they're worshiping. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So yeah, that ties, or does it? Because it's supposed to be a different timeline. I don't know. Well, it's I, all over the yeah, place. It's, it's an Easter egg. It's in, it, it interesting. <laughs> that is the one piece that's like, is it yeah. still? Yeah. <laughs> um. And what's up with this other thing? Also, that's just a synopsis. It's oh. also possible <laughs> that um that was part of like the extended cut. We might've watched like an extended version yeah. also. And so that may not have been in the theatrical. I'm not sure. Yeah. The little like human people are kind of weird because Culp's whole motivation is kind of that he's just bored. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm tired of being in these tunnels. Let's go do something. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Well, no, well it's that like, you know, a couple of ape Virgil and Cornelius and McDonald come in looking for archives. They're, archives they're looking for uh videotapes of um cornelius and his mama so he can learn more about you know earth's original future or whatever yeah and um but the mutant semi-mutant humans think that they're like this is like a breach of like peace treaty yeah 
by like you know coming into their lands or whatever but i mean they don't have to live underground they could have gone outside a little bit maybe mix it up a bit (laughs) um yeah so like you get the weird human people and the little ape people so it's a nice balance between the two so production design like we mentioned before it's just a bunch of tree houses for ape society it feels a little bit better, like more fleshed out to me than in the original where it's just like, I mean, there is a huts. school and stuff. Yeah. So yeah, it's getting there. Yeah. It's not there, but it's getting there. And then the human society actually just takes place in the like ape management building from the last mm. one, which is a very small place. To t- I guess <laughs> they don't branch out much. Um, well, it's like the whole city is destroyed. It's like yeah. ruins supposedly, but yeah, I do appreciate all the archives. There are a lot of filing cabinets and some yeah. like media reels that still work <laughs> after nuclear Solution war. <laughs> must have been restoring those. Yeah. Uh, and then we get a lot of like outdoor shooting locations in this one. So it's not like as big as the desert forbidden zone in the first one. Yeah. But we do get the Mad Max style caravan to the forest where it's mostly a school bus and mm. a bunch of cars. But they have no problem getting gasoline or guzzling. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> no worries there. Yeah. And then I think all of the apes are kind of in their like standard garb. Yeah, they by are. this one, all their. I wonder why they color coordinate. I don't know. Mix it up a, a problem. little. I think it really. <laughs> I, I honestly, we talked about this earlier. I think, but it goes against the message of the last movie yeah. <laughs> for sure. And of this one, that's like, let's live peacefully together. But you guys wear red, and we'll wear blue. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and we'll never mix the two. Yeah, <laughs> never betwixt. <laughs> um. So performances, we kind of already mentioned, but we love Virgil as a new Doctor Zayas. So he's kind of comedic and nerdy. He's one of my favorite characters in all of these movies, honestly. I think he's he's entertaining but but clever and you know, he's just a good new new uh kind of character that we haven't seen in the franchise yeah. really. Um and then as I mentioned before, Mr. McDonald was So <laughs> it's confusing. I'll explain <laughs> this. So yeah, there's two characters in this that are odd because they're like either playing the same character or playing somebody related to the character in the last movie. Um, so McDonald played by Harry Rhodes in the last movie was meant to return, but after he, the actor refused, the character was changed to be his brother. And that's why Austin Stug was cast, but they're both called McDonald. So yep. that's confusing. And the same with, uh, the bad guy, governor Breck from the last movie was supposed to be returned, but that actor also wasn't interested. So they got that guy, Severn Darden, he was available, so they're like, oh, he was the security chief uh, in the last movie, so he'll be the main villain in this one. Like, I mean, he's better than Breck, I guess. I guess. He's still pretty, like, mustache twirly. Yeah, not as bad as Breck. No. <laughs> um, and then I'm not crazy about Cornelius's wife, Lisa. She's just too... She's, she's the little, mother. She's a worrywart, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, they're... Cornelius Soon as the second. women learn to talk, right? Nah, am I right, fellas? You're right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then Cornelius the second. Spoiler alert: He gets murdered. Well, no, he does. Wait, doesn't he? Oh no, he does die. Eventually. He gets yeah. murdered. Well, yeah, he's like on death's door for a while, but then he does yes. die. Yeah. Um, 
So, and he's kind of annoying, but I guess he's he's fine. He's fine, yeah. He was going to be the new leader. I guess he's not anymore. Yeah. Uh, is there anyone else? I mean, Roddy McDowell's doing the same thing every movie, so. <laughs> I mean, there's like the teacher at the school and I don't know, not anybody. So, yeah, we have more human stuff with this too. Um, oh, there's also the ape who, um, the orangutan who guards the armory. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, a little more mix. Mm-hmm. Um, so the score for this movie is by Leonard Rosenman, who did the car in RoboCop 2. We like the car. And yeah, I still don't household. remember the music from this. I don't either, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. The first one's the only one that I feel like has super memorable music, but could be just because we watched these over such a long period of time. I'm not sure. Yeah. So tell me some interesting things, Harper. All right. Here's some... I got two interesting pieces of trivia here. So uh, this is supposedly the movie that inspired Tony Mendez to create Operation Argo during the Iran hostage crisis from 79 to 81, in which he traveled to Iran in disguise as a film producer and had the hostages disguised as film crew in order to flee the country. Um, So in that movie, Argo, F yourself. (laughs) Um, (laughs) They show a clip from this movie of Caesar McDonald and Virgil arriving in the Forbidden City as kind of like... I guess I don't remember if it's specifically because he's watching that and he's like, oh, I've got an idea or whatever. But yeah, I suppose that this is the movie that inspired that. I don't plan. remember that at all. <laughs> well, well, we saw that movie a long time ago, 11 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, and then here we go. Let's get into how messed up this timeline <laughs> is. All right. Yeah. So Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, which came out in 1972, begins by letting us know that the year is 1999. One. In this movie huh 91 91 why did i say 99 because you got big willie style stuck in your brain oh yeah that's definitely <laughs> what it is. 91 in this movie near the end mandemus tells caesar that the armory has been at home for 27 years this contradicts one of culp's followers implying that the world ended 12 years ago depending on how long it took the apes to get out of the city and build their own armory this movie should take place sometime around 2018 or soon thereafter it's the, the timeline in these is just it so... It wouldn't be that hard to make it make sense. Yeah, like, that's what I mean. Right, the correct year. It's, I think it's clearly... <laughs> it's partly the fact that they each one of these movies, they never plan to do another one after yeah. each one. And then, then they're like scrambling to figure out how to make it make sense. But also, yeah, they just like... It seems like they purposely make mistakes. Because, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's just... I mean, either 12 or 27 years. I mean, how old is Caesar at this point? My God. I don't know. He's born in like the seventies. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So it's just a real, uh, real all over the place. Timeline wise. the, the original franchise, the new, the newer apes franchise does a much better job of like making things make sense. Well, now we know how to make franchises work. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, so what do you have for your favorite ape moment? Quiet. (laughs) Quiet. Um, Mine, just because it's so silly, is the crying <laughs> ape statue, crying statue of Caesar at the end of the movie. <laughs> I feel like they use a crying statue a lot, like when they the have it time. in the, it's the in second the movie. Yeah. yeah, I was like, what's up with that? Weird. <laughs> it's a miracle. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just making the ape, the Jesus ape. Yeah. So I was super excited that Child Cornelius finally, five movies in, Climbs a tree and swings. Yeah, we finally get apes <laughs> from a branch. Stuff. <laughs> and it's the only time it ever happens, I think. Uh, yeah, I believe you're right. It's like, ah. Uh. 
Why which, couldn't they do it the whole time? That's another thing the new <laughs> franchise does a lot better. Yeah, there's a lot of swinging better. and trees and they are abandoned buildings real and stuff. Apes. <laughs> no, they're Andy Circus. Yeah, they're all Andy Circus, mm-hmm. who can become an ape whenever he wants. Um, so tell me what your favorite scene is. I really like the whole sequence when they're exploring the old city, just because it's, uh, it's like even cooler than when they do that in Beneath the Planet of the Apes. Like it's much more like desolate and messed up and and there's like this tension of like they don't know that there are still humans alive in the city and yeah the humans are like spying on them and you don't know what's going to happen it's it's a really cool fun sequence i like that part a lot so i have two my first one is when the actual battle for the planet of the apes begins mm-hmm. you think that oh man has won because they have like guns and bombs or whatever grenade launchers and they're blowing everything up and then they pan across the uh ape city and all these people are lying like dead in the field and this franchise has conditioned us to think oh i guess they're just all dead that's how half these movies end yeah and but they're all playing dead and then they rise up and win and chase off the humanoids just like caesar did (laughs) in the last movie yes yeah also cornelius we should have known cornelius ii was playing dead a lot in the in the beginning of the movie. Oh, that's true. So that's probably where they got the idea from. Uh, But my second favorite is the ending because it's so creepy. It's a little long, but I like it. So the gorilla Aldo has, uh, again, why do that? Aldo is the name that, that Cornelius said is the ape that caused the uprising. Come (laughs) on guys. Why? 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 Um, So, he finally gets caught for what he did. He's the one who cut a tree limb that Cornelius II was swinging off of. Because and Cornelius ends saw up in a them coma having like a secret that the, Yeah, they were going to like fight take back a, a and take over. Yeah, they were going to take over. Um, and so all of the uh, apes and stuff, well, they're trying to keep the humans captive. They want to keep them in a cage, not let them out. And then all the apes realize that he's the one who killed... Uh, Cornelius the second, and then they all start chanting. <laughs> and then it's really <laughs> creepy. Ever. And then we get some more tree climbing where Cornelius and Aldo have a battle in a tree. Not yeah. really a battle. They just keep climbing, and then it's like, where are you gonna go, dude? Yeah. Eventually, Aldo just falls off. Right. Yeah. To his death. Thus completes the saga. So yeah, I like that part because it's like the one rule they don't do. And I think one of them, uh, we don't have it as one of our lines, but McDonald, I think he said like, well, they're finally human or something. Yeah, something like that. Something along those lines. You know what they say, human see, human do. Basically, (laughs) now it's ape see, ape do. (laughs) Monkey see. I can't say monkey though. It's a (laughs) slur in this world. Um, so what was your favorite line? He can talk, he can talk, he can. <laughs> uh, I like, just because it's so stupid and silly, the bad guy Culp, he says, well, we're all radiated, but we're at least we're, at least we're active. <laughs> <laughs> he, they have a weird sense of humor in that they whole do. place. It's like, he did seems, they improv he, all That of guy it? seems like he was like a failed Shakespearean stage actor. Yeah. And he Oliver really, Reed's he's really playing. Up. Yeah, very much. He's like, oh, uh-huh. yeah. 
Yeah. Um, because even his like little lady friend is weird too. Yeah, and then is. they're they're playing chess at some point. It's like, what is happening? <laughs> um, my favorite line comes from Virgil, aka Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. And he says, All knowledge is for good. Only the use to which you put it can be good or evil. Thanks, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. I mean, Virgil. Yeah. So he has a lot of little one lines that are like, hmm. Well, and he's very much like the good version of Dr. Zayas. Like he's not using his, you're not going to use it again. He's like using knowledge for good rather than just like to control the Yeah, apes. he's not hiding anything. Yeah. Um. Any other thoughts on this until we get to our last question? Mm, no, I really liked this one. I mean, Part of it was that we watched the worst one and then getting to this one was yeah. like, wow, this is actually really good. But I feel like this one in a lot of ways um, kind of hits the best of all worlds of this franchise. Like it's got uh, feature-ish-istic ape in human societies. It's got like, you know, apes fighting amongst each other as well as like the humans, some good humans, some bad humans. Like it's got a lot of the best yeah. parts of the whole franchise all kind of built into this finale. If they had made the humans a little more radiated or a little more sci-fi, I feel like that would have really brought it all together better. Or, or even, or leaned into the more like Mad Max style, made yeah. them more like gritty and gross yeah. and like, you know, desperate. That would have even made sense, more yeah. sense too. They, sure they the seem kind of fine. Just limited. <laughs> like yeah, they're, they're not just, doing that bad. <laughs> they're just like halfway to becoming like these freaky psychic ones yeah. from the second movie. Yeah, because in the... Be- I forgot they also, when they're visiting the archives, are like, there's a lot of radiation down here. It's like, it's not going to hurt us yet, but we can't stay here for more than two hours. Yeah, and the humans like live there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what do you think it does better than the others? I think it does a good job of finally kind of, even though the continuity getting to this point is a mess. Yeah. I think it finally kind of reconnects the timelines and is like, a, like you know, kind of puts a cap on it so it's like okay this is how like this story ends and this is like where this timeline goes yeah by having that wraparound with uh john houston i feel like this one probably is the most militaristic in like battle sequences well it's um, called yes battle for the planet of the apes and i think it does a good job of showing how like the ape society is forming with humans um but for the most part it just is good it wraps up the franchise in a, a decent way yeah it's not like oh i'm offended that's how they end it it's like it's satisfying enough well, to also, get to this point it also feels like a good bookend to the first movie yeah like it's uh you know it's not like it takes place in a similar sort of location looking like ape society not like ape slaves or ape space uh, you know astronauts like it's it feels like it's a little bit more tied to the original than the uh, the previous two were yeah um, so I think that wraps up battle for the planet of the apes. <laughs> we had to So what was your overall franchise impression? What did you like? What did you hate? What are we looking forward to? <laughs> well, I I like it mostly just as like this this weird um bottle like pop culture phenomenon is I think is super interesting to look at. Yeah. And and also I think it's really interesting as like this piece of history of like trying to figure out how do we do like multiple movies about the same thing? Like, 
you know, this is definitely like the prototype for all sci-fi franchises to come. Like this is pre star yeah. Wars, pre superheroes, pre everything, you know? Um, so, uh, I think that's really interesting. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's got, it's, I really like that it is kind of done in that classic sci-fi mold where each movie is like, definitely has like a particular thematic, uh, social commentary that it's trying to go for, which is always interesting with those older sci-fi movies. Um, I don't, what I don't like is how messy the timeline is that we've talked about. Yeah. That, that drives me crazy as the, as a person who's used to, I get why, you know, in, in the early seventies, most people probably wouldn't care at all. And in fact, probably half the people seeing the movies hadn't seen the previous ones or whatever. Like probably it's not, not like a thing, but, um, you know, that bugged me. Um, and, but I am really looking forward to doing that volume two whenever we get around to it, because, uh, I'm curious about the Tim Burton one. This is, I know it's probably not gonna be good, but I'm interested in like the makeup and the cast is great. Um, and I'm excited to rewatch those, the newer franchise, which obviously does a much better job with the continuity and, um, and has a great, no Roddy McDowell, but Mr. Andy Serkis is one of our faves and that yeah. franchise is a big reason why. And I wonder if that franchise has kind of like influenced how, what we, well, at least what I think about this one is like, I want more monkey stuff. Mm. I want more, uh, sci-fi stuff and, or battles or whatever. I do. I think this franchise started off really strong with the sci-fi elements. And as the further you go along, kind of that's less important. And it does become more of like society and philosophical questions. And what does it mean to be human? This is kind of like the new franchise too. Though. Yeah. But I do miss, I wish there had been more sci-fi stuff as strong as the first two throughout. Sure. Yeah, I agree. I don't disagree with that. And I hate that they kept lowering the budget for everyone. Because, like, what if they hadn't done that? How yeah, far could they, they have pushed it? Yeah, the budget yeah. with each one. Or planned ahead a little bit. Yeah, yeah, just some sort of planning would be good. But I am also looking forward to the Tim Burton rewatch. And, it, I mean, minus Marky Mark, like, it might not be as bad as The cast is crazy. And I know the makeup be. effects are great. <laughs> Yeah, so. the music could be good. Who knows? Mm. Is it Danny Elfman? Probably. <laughs> Probably. It's a Tim Burton. Yeah, I guess we'll find out in like a year. I yeah. don't know. Well, here's a here's one question. Are you excited about that new Apes movie? Honestly, I can't remember how the last one ended. Yeah, I have mixed feelings about it because I love those those three, particularly the second and third ones yeah. of the new franchise. Um, and they they were the two and three were directed by the same guy, Matt Reeves. Um, and the uh. Uh, this new one is not. It's by some random guy, um, I think. Is Andy Serkis still in it? No. So yeah, it could be could be a toss up. Yeah, I don't think he is. Anyways, uh, the, yeah, there's not even like any. Um, I don't think there's a plot or anything at this point. Is it still a year away from coming out? Um, yeah, it has Kevin Durand, William H Macy. <laughs> Uh, Owen Teague, we know from something or other. Uh, yeah, I don't know. The cast is not particularly impressive, and I don't know this director. Um, he did all the Maze Runner movies, so it's mm. like, uh. so I don't really know what to expect. Um, I hope it's good, but I don't have any kind of expectations for it at all. Yeah, we'll see. We will see. So, final ranking. Ooh, I'm a little. I can't decide. Mine, I think, I think the first one is the best. Then I'm going to go for the second one beneath okay. 
And then probably the third one. I'm tossed kind of tied between the third and fifth one. Yeah. I think escape and battle are pretty even, but we can all agree conquest is the worst of for the sure. franchise. I don't, it's actually really hard for me to rank these because I, I feel like I almost put the first, third, and fifth ones kind of almost tied for me. Like I like yeah. all three of them for very different reasons. Um, you have to decide now. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to say one, five, three, two, four. What? That's insane. It's not that different from yours. I just... Swapped. You said one, five, yeah, I just three, swapped two and five. Two, four. Yeah. That's a big difference. I only swapped two and five. Mine's one, two, three, My five, favorite, four. My favorite, least favorite's the same <laughs> as yours. But yeah. Okay. Three of them are very good. One of the, and uh, I think two is, for me, two is like good, but uh, not great to me because I think the first half is so boring. Yeah, I agree with that, but I, I like it saves itself. Yeah, it becomes ridiculous and fun in the end, but the first half is so bad. So, for people who haven't seen these movies, do you think they should only watch the first two or three? I don't know. Or do you need to see all of them? I don't know that you really... I mean, I don't know. It's hard to say because, I mean, for me, again, it's every other one. All the odd number ones are the ones I really like the best. So it's like I can't say, like, you know, skip stuff. But I wonder if you could watch them in a certain order, like a different order. I do feel like... The chronological order. Three, four, five, one, two. (laughs) I do feel like five recaps enough of four that you don't have to watch four. Yeah. Uh, And four is so bad. Um (laughs) And I do think you could watch one and then watch and then skip the first half hour of two, at <laughs> yeah, least the first could. half hour. <laughs> you would totally know what's going on because it's exactly the same as the first <laughs> one. Yeah. So it's a little all over the place, but it was, I'm really glad we finally watched it. This is a franchise I've been wanting to dive into for a long, long time because I know it's like such a classic sci-fi me franchise. Too. It was a major blind spot for me. Yeah. Any other thoughts? No, I don't think so. Anything from the lawgiver? Um, <laughs> or how about Charlton Heston? Oh my God, I was, was wrong. wrong. <laughs> no, get out of here, lawgiver. No! <laughs> Do. <laughs> we don't want to hear anything about your damn scrolls. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that's it for this episode. But don't forget, you can always see a list of all the movies that we talked about on our letterbox. Surprise. It's just the first, it's five just five the first eight movies. Hey, Post Colonel. Um, and you can also follow us on Twitter at Splice Podcast or on Instagram at Splice Together Podcast. <laughs> Let us know what you think about the franchise or how would you would rank them or something about Charlton Heston's teeth. <laughs> his giant mouth. Yeah, his big old mouth. Hope um, I did the whole episode as Charlton Heston. My favorite <laughs> ape moment. You'd be like the Kampanda guy from Venture Brothers. Yeah. Kampanda. <laughs> and we'll see you soon on another episode of Spliced, Spliced Together. together. You maniacs! <laughs> you blow it off! Take your sticky paws off me, you damn dirty ape! It's a man! <laughs>